Right, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that mustn't grumble, but probably will. Uh, now, Timo Werner scores after 100 days off. Tommy Tuchel's Chelsea, unbeaten now in six matches, having conceded one solitary goal. Chelsea up to fourth in the Premier League. What's not to like? Well, I'm sure we can find something. Anyway, <laughs> let's be fair. Let's be fair. It's great that Tuchel has got the good ship Chelsea floating in the right direction. But it seems that Tuchel sees himself as a SWAT team coming in to clear up a mess and make sure we get top four. And I don't think we'll really see what he's about until next season. Until then, pragmatic results-driven football will be the order of the day. It won't be pretty or exciting. It's about working out who the best players and systems are. The real question, perhaps, is what was it that needed fixing? The players? The system? The mentality? The manager? Right now, I don't actually see much difference, and I actually sense a legacy of the Sarri era. And in that respect, for me, nothing changes until Jorginho goes. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And he only knows how to play one way. And while he plays, old habits will be hard to shift. But, as our wonderful new German manager would have said had he conducted the interview in German post-match, uh, the title of this show is Das ist klar! Chelsea fancast number 795. Uh, so there we go. Now, um, of course... It wouldn't be the Chelsea fancast on a Monday night, or indeed a Friday night, without uh, the hinge to my bracket, the Morecambe to my wise, uh, the Bobby Ball to my cannon. That's getting a bit weird. So I just shut up and say, hello, Jonathan. Uh, how lovely to be here. Thank you very much. The um, the gardener to your flowerpot men. Yes. The uh, sage to my parsley. Your onion, your parsley. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Eddie Chatty to his lover. Yeah, the Dylan to my Zebedee. The, the marina to my Captain Scarlet. There we go, mixing children's programmes now. <laughs> yeah, just but, but cleverly, though. Very cleverly done. I like that. I like that one. I almost burst into song. Marina, I have. Aquamarina. We used, we used to sing that about Marina Grand of Sky when we liked her. We don't anymore. I don't think you ever did, Chich. I think you're just making that up. No, we did sing. We've sung it on the show in honour of Marina Granoskaya. No, you were no, obviously no. asleep at the time. I know I was a goldfish. I've got a goldfish. Man. Anyway, how are you, old Bean? You all right? Uh, very good. Thank you very much. Yeah, lovely to be here. I had, I had my jab during the week, so uh, um, I'm looking forward to uh, to becoming Bill Gates or um, whatever happens. Or a lizard person. Lizard, yeah, lizard, yeah, that's it. That'll be that's it. right. It'd be like V. You'll suddenly unzip your face and a, I, I, I was. <laughs> and a lizard face will come out. Well, looking forward to that. Or I've I'll just been on the hallucinogenic drugs again. Do I have a very long tongue? Well, I don't really wish to know. <laughs> I really, I think we're going to leave it there. This is going down a rabbit hole I just really don't want to go down. I'll suffice to say, as always, mate, it's a delight to see you. I've been in a I'll filthy be mood. With such eminent guests. Yeah, well, so. I've been in a filthy mood all day, and I knew that seeing your lovely faces would brighten my evening up. Uh, that and three uh, Nutella and Cointreau and chopped hazelnut pancakes, which I've just woofed down, but there you go. Because, um, of course, it is it is pancake day today, Shrove, Shrove Tuesday, so uh, happy pancake day, everybody. Now, um, a man who is, uh, among among other things, I mean, he's a huge Chelsea supporter, he's a great friend of ours, he does the Chelsea Supporters Trust, he's on the radio all the time, 
but he's also a a, a real gast. What do they call? Is it is it a, a gourmand? You're a gourmand, Dan. You like your food. Have you had some exotic pancakes tonight? No, I'm going to wait till after the. Uh... Van cost. I'm very traditional. I like lemon and sugar, lemon juice and sugar. Very yeah. simple, very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, well, easy I, man to please. I recommend you, the Quantro and Nutella ones, mate. They, they oh, wow. Are you going to be tossing them out of out of your pan? He's off again. Yeah, I'm a right tosser. <laughs> Enough, enough already. Right, yeah. uh, now, uh, so Dan, we've got Dan Searles, we've got Jonathan, of course. Uh, I'm really, really delighted to to introduce our next guest. Uh, he's a real old friend of ours. I mean, he's been on this show on and off for years and years now, and I used to have the pleasure of, um, you know, sitting very... Well, it was a pleasure for me to sit very near him in Gate 17. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that it was, <laughs> probably wasn't the other way around, my annoying habits whilst I watched the football. But it's a very, very, very warm welcome back to the lovely Joe Tweeds. Hello, Joe. How are you? Yeah, really well, Chidge. How are you doing? Well, as you can see, I'm still as mad and certifiable as ever. <laughs> but other than that, I'm well. Yeah, things are good here. As I said, it's been a busy couple of months for me, but things are starting to... To settle down quite nicely now, so yeah, back for an appearance this evening. Excellent. Other than being, other than being snowed under, yeah, you should share that with the uh, with the, the listeners. It's fascinating. Yeah, so I've, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I, I've not seen snow like this ever. I would say so. We're talking about sort of probably a foot of snow kind of falls overnight. You wake up in the morning, jump through it, kind of run to the bus stop, try and get into to town, etc. But uh, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of months from that perspective. I bet. Wow. Now I know. I know you've been busy, and I can't. I can't get into the show before I've, I've, I suppose, congratulated you on this, your new uh, King's Road newsletter, which you're doing for the London is Blue Boys uh, on their Patreon page. I mean, apart from the fact I can't see how you find the time, and I, I have checked a few <laughs> out, but they are brilliant, mate. Well done and congratulations. Tell me all about that. Yeah, so I think it's it's something that I've wanted to do for a while is, is I think, both start writing again and also um kind of long form style podcasts so that that whole king's road thing will be something that hosts a weekly newsletter every monday um just really looking at a few things that i found interesting through the week doesn't have to be to do with the games and then some of the uh, other things will just be slightly more kind of yeah i suppose long form style podcast once a month um first one is looking at sort of the direction the club's heading in what sort of philosophy that, that what's sort of going on we're looking at the academy looking at the, the commercial side of the club all that kind of stuff so a little bit kind of different to, to what other people are doing. But yeah, it's, it's something I've wanted to do for a while. And it's, uh, yeah, just trying to find the time to make it all work. But at the moment, things are, things are okay. But well, yeah, well. mate, all the best with that. It looks cracking. As I said, if, if people haven't uh, found it, I mean, actually, you might as well t- tell them where to find it, Joe. Yeah, so it's on the, the London is Blue Patreon. I don't actually know the, yeah, the website off by heart, but I, uh, I certainly I'm posting about it. I think the actual, the latest newsletter is the link in my Twitter bio. So uh, yeah, definitely go check it out. I think it's uh, yeah, it's decent. If, if I you know do say so myself. Well, I mean, mate, I, I I've known you for a long time, and and I've long loved your writing and thoughts on the game. So, and as I said, I've already checked a few out. So, it's pucker, mate. Get on it, people. You you won't regret it. And it's as I said, it's lovely to have Joe back with us. Actually, I like it when when we get the old gang back together. Now on the show tonight, yes, we applaud we applaud Timo Werner just for Jonathan. Uh, for getting on the score sheet at long last. But also, just for Jonathan, he's, he's looking at me thinking, "What is? where is this going? Where is this going, he's saying. But just for Jonathan, the plaudits should go to the real man of the match. Yes. The people's man of the match, 
not yes. not uh, not Sky Sports man of the match, not Chelsea's fifth standout man of the match. No, the people's and probably Jonathan's man of the match will go tonight to Matteo Kovacic. Uh, we lament Tammy getting injured, and we discuss oh. the <coughs> rehabilitation of Kepa Arithabalaga. Uh, in part two, we ask, what is Tuchel scared of? As Chelsea's second-half performance dropped off to the extent that we fielded nine, yes, nine defensively-minded players at home to a, inverted commas, depleted Newcastle. Uh, and why are Chelsea still profligate up front? And are we dull to watch? And watch out, it's about to get a whole lot tougher. Now, in part three, because uh, there's no... Uh, that, my good, Lorks are lordy. There is no midweek game this week. So a bit of a truncated show, but you know it won't be. We'll still manage to rack up two hours without another game to talk about. But in part three, JK and myself will read out the emails sent in by our faithful listeners this week. Now, as ever, don't forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7pm by going to Mixler, which, of course, as you all know by now, is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea High from Fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. Uh, of course, you can also tweet at Chelsea Fancast during the show or any time, really. Just follow us on Twitter, at Chelsea Fancast. Me, at Stanford Chidge, Dan, at DanSilv73, Jonathan, at Jonathan Kidd, and Joe, at Joe Tweed. D, I think. Um, anyway, so do that. Instagram, Facebook, the whole nine yards. But actually, it's much more fun if you're in Mixler when you're listening to the show live, as so many, so many are doing as we speak. Loads of you in there. We've got the lovely Andy Silverman in the house now. Uh, yeah, good and, to have him back. Yeah, good to have him back. Andy's a, an, another old friend of ours. Dan and Dan and Andy used to sit on the benches together when we used to do the TV show. But Andy's, you know, having a tough time at the moment. So we're sending massive, huge, big love to Andy because he's one of life's lovely people. Uh, Mark Meehan, one of our one of our one of our mob, is in there. Albert the Second, Chev Eleven, Loz Barnes. We love Loz. David Hurst, Nobby Steelers, lovely Nobby Steelers. Brian Justman. Uh, Planet Earth is Blue, Gaffer's in. Oh, I mean, there's so many of you, I can't name you all. Claire, lovely to see you all. Always lovely to see so many of you in Mixler on a Monday evening. Now, after this very little break, we will be back. So welcome back. This, of course, is Stanford Chidge and the Chelsea Fancast with J.K. Dan Silves and Joe Tweeds. Uh, now, uh, I promised him this on Friday, and, I, and I'm a man of my word. And I know I've got a a really well worked out structure and notes and scripts and you know topics to discuss and all of that. But I'm going to throw it away for as long as it takes, as long as is necessary. And actually, I think, I mean, this is so good. And I'm, as I said, I'm a man of my word. He's still, he's looking at me again, like, where is he going with this? I think Jonathan's kind of walked into the fan cast tonight thinking, has somebody slipped me some acid tonight? Or something like that. He's got that look on his face or some magic mushrooms. Maybe you, we should make this into a thing. We'll call it something. We'll call it like JK's, JK's uh, last, no, last word sounds a bit gloomy. <laughs> Maybe JK's, JK's jottings. JK's jottings. 
JK's rant, JK's summary. I don't know. We'll make a sting and you can even voice it, JK, and we'll play your sting. The dilemma was, was I said to President last week that I'm going to fail to 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 uh, rise to the heights of this yeah. week. Well, I've, al- I've always got the I'm mute button, angry. remember. I'm not as angry about um, no. Bernard being mad. Well, I'm, I'm just going to let you go. You started, so go. I'm, Off I'm you go. Angry about, yeah, yeah. the idea is that it's because uh, you wouldn't know this, Joe, I, I completely lost my temper about Werner being <laughs> man of the match last week just because, um, uh, you know, he'd fallen over for a penalty and uh, closed his eyes to cross to mount to score. And yeah, and uh, and Chid started off by saying, "Whoa, oh, man of the match, Verna. And I went, "For fuck's sake, fucking Verna, man of the match!" Um, but um, once again, I'd like to uh, to complain about the euphoria over making him man of the match when Newcastle was so poor um, that uh, you know. Hang on, Jonathan, you... I can't let you get away with that. They were poor. Sorry, I poor. do apologize. They were, Newcastle were <laughs> so always poor. That was absolutely dreadful of me. I do apologize. So I was so slow and not on the ball. Yes, they they were poor. They were so poor that uh, that you know uh, all three of us playing in our pajamas could actually have played uh, as well as Werner last night. So uh, on the wing, the amount of um, of uh, pressure that was put on him as a forward, but there is clearly light at the end of the tunnel with him because if if. Tuchel manages to play him in that position on the wing and he gets space. He's clearly a very swift player, but Jesus, let's not go overboard again. He's still got a dreadful touch. I just look at him in disbelief occasionally when the ball comes out to him and he, he uh, it just bounces off his legs. And you go, how can you just mutate from somebody who looks so much in control to somebody so to, uh, away with the fairies when it comes to controlling a football? Anyway, I digress. His Kovacic was, was excellent. As we're discovering in this setup at the moment, in his in the double six, he's really he's really terrific. But in, it's 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 worrying the way that um, all they did was slightly tactically change with the second half and press us a bit, yeah. and it all begins to fall apart, you know. And also this other aspect, which once again Tuchel said uh, we are lacking in precision. This word that he uses when he basically means we can't shoot and we can't. Uh, <laughs> Um, and nobody has the ability to put the ball in the net properly other than the defence. I thought Alonso was great, by the way. Can I just say that the the joy that Alonso gives me playing um, up front, which is essentially what he does, which, it's, it's, it's no comparison with Chilwell for me because he's such, he is so on the ball, to use a hackneyed football metaphor, when it comes to getting into the penalty area and just spraying the ball about and playing it off. He really is a terrific wing-back. Alonso. But, and also, I noticed something as well. Once again, it's only Newcastle who are terrible. Poor. But he, he, sorry, I'm so sorry. I missed it again. I'm so, I'm so poor. But um, um, he appeared to be actually getting much closer to the, uh, to the, to the attackers in his, in his defending. So you wonder whether um, Tuchel has decided, okay, let's make an effort. And I think this is something that, in fact, I, 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 Joe brought up last night on Twitter, is that um, he's completely thrown the cat among the pigeons, Tuchel, by putting everybody in the side who we had all decided were all going to be sold. And and suddenly he's moulding a team out of that. And you go, oh, well, what, what do we do now? None of the, if you look last night, Werner was the, uh, 
Berners the only one, isn't he, from the the six new buys that was actually playing. Otherwise, it's it's Cobham kids who are are, are playing out of their skins. I absolutely congratulate them. Did, James you, like, did you like my article on that thing? I loved it. I loved it. Absolutely. Well, I, I, you I, were very I nice about it, mate. I, I was loved touched it. actually. I loved it, Chid. So it was great, fantastic, yeah. and, and I love it. But you know, CHR got given a hard time by by by, by Prashanth on uh, Twitter by by saying it would be nice if he shot a bit more when particularly when he's got space in the penalty area um, and he still lays it off and you want to go for fuck's sake you're standing in the penalty area just belt it at the goal Jesus and he won't he still lays it off whether this is kind of a you know a robotic impulse this is what he's been told to do he lays it wide and it gets blasted back into the middle by whoever happens to be on the wing at the time but I think I keep going on about about CHO's potential. I really think he's come on so much leaps and bounds. And this is what everybody talked about him being with the youth. And Joe talked about what a good player he was. And he really is beginning to demonstrate it. I just want him to run at people more, beat them more and shoot more. Because then, you know, I'm not asking for much. Prashant said, um, um, I'd be the kind of employer that had somebody for, for 18 hours and insisted they stay all the 18 hours and put in good work. And I'd say, well, yeah, you, but if I did that, you'd be world class. You'd be, you'd be top employee. I'd be happy to do that. But all I'm after is I want him to be the player I think he can be. And I don't think that's anything that I should be ashamed of asking for. In the same way, we want excellence with all the players. And that's all we're asking for. It's an elite club with elite footballers. This is why it's so surprising that suddenly you know, um, uh, Tuchel decides on, what does he decide on? He decides on a setup that um, um, the, the will uh, uh, that uh, essentially is using the players that we thought were all going to be transferred. And he's obviously doing something right defensively because we've only given one, one goal away. He's tightened it up. So, but as we say, the main tests are going to be Atletico and, uh, and Man United and the following matches and Everton that are coming up. And then we will see the, um, the cut of his jib, as my mother used to say. But um, um, uh, are you is, happy, uh, JK? Am I happy? What with what, the well, team? I don't know, really. Just generally, really. Am I happy? Were well, you asking about you know life at home, or you asking no, about no, the, with the just football? generally, just generally, just generally. Well, no, but I. I I have to say, I, I love it. I love watching the team. I love being able to talk about it. And I, but I'm intrigued by, um, you know, is he in fact? I think, as you've stated, is he setting up for next season? Wow. Is he just trying to make it work at the moment? I'm. Uh, you've set um, this up beautifully. I, I like him. I like yeah. him so much. This I is really this is him. why I, I really, you know, and I, I have to say, and I, I shared this with you, didn't I? I, I think I WhatsApped you, didn't I, or something? And uh, I, I told you on Friday, didn't I? We talked about it yeah. on Friday. But, you know, I got a lot of we, let's, let's push back, I think, push back on uh, on Discord saying that I was really horrible to you and I should let you let let Jonathan be Jonathan. Let Jonathan free, say, free, you. free the Jonathan kid one. You were not they were horrible to me. You offered me free psychological advice. <laughs> well, you, yeah, normally I charge, mate. You should exactly. be flattered. Exactly. <laughs> Because I was so angry. He said I was so angry. Was there something beyond the football? I can't believe I fucking started to analyse you on a show. You did. <laughs> Don't you get me disbarred, mate. But and, No, but, yeah, but I, I, I've seen the error of my ways, and I think it's lovely, because actually what you do so beautifully, JK, and, and I have, I've had it wrong all these years, you, <laughs> you set the scene beautifully for everything that's going to be in the show. And I, and I, 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 I almost feel like giving a round of applause, because that was a beautiful synopsis really 
Um, and a lot of the points you make, I think we are we are going to discuss uh, in, in depth. Discuss because yeah. Joe is so particularly informed about um, everything, uh, really. Because we, we agreed, in fact, about this. I sent you a tweet last night, Joe, about, about this thing of using the very players that we thought would be discarded. And he's made something of yeah, them. Well, I'd and, like and I'd like to pick up on that because um, I don't I'm not entirely sure whether I whether I included that. But so don't let me forget. But I do I do want to I do want to start with uh, T- Tim O'Verner. Um, I thought it was uh, it was it was nice to see the palpable relief that he had when he I mean, God almighty, they nearly took it away from him, didn't they? Because it supposedly hit, G- hit Giroud's hand. Um I thought I thought Tuchel's comments after I thought Tuchel's comments again after the match were fantastic actually, but he made a really good point that we all knew Frank tried to do this too, which so in in ways it was a bit disingenuous. But he likes to drift between the full back and the centre back and to play with a big number nine. We've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks. I thought J.K.'s probably most keen observation yesterday because of course you lot out there will, re- will not realise this, but we're we're all talking to each other on WhatsApp as the game's going on, which gets a bit emotional, but it's quite fun. And JK was convinced that the key to Timo Werner's future success is, is somebody slapping him in the face. That was JK's tactical uh, genius from, from yesterday on WhatsApp. Twice. It happened yeah, twice. I know. He, he scored and then they put on the assist. But, yeah. uh, but Dan, here's the thing, mate. Um, so delighted to see him score a goal. I, I, I don't, I mean, you know, what, 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 however poor he's been, finding the back of the net. I don't think you can fault his effort. I think he's been top-notch with his effort. But do you think he can... I mean, you know, we've been saying it's an old truism, isn't it? He just needs one to go in off his arse from a yard out and then he'll be back. So do you think Do you think he'll kick on now? I hope so, yeah. It was, it, it was the archetypal scrappy goal, but he'd be in the right place. I think they said it on Sky, they said they would work five times and won four penalties. So his, you know, his non-scoring football has been, it's been, it's been, you know, faultless. He's just been very unlucky. And the whole disruption with, you know, with Frank going and everything else can't, can't have been easy for him. And, you know, what people seem to forget, you know, these young kids, you know, he's still young, he's come to the country, presence in his family. So just from a, you know, from a, an emotional standpoint, it must be really difficult to, to settle in. He scored the goal. You can see how much he meant to him, the teammates, by the celebrations. Everyone was smiling and happy. And listen, he's, he's a class player, you know, you know fantastic record in the Bundesliga. I think he'll kick on. You know, Tuchel knows him. Tuchel will hopefully get the best out of him, playing sort of, you know, almost like inside left almost mm. with, with Alonso because there's some great, great understanding between the two of them. They're causing Newcastle a hell of a lot of problems. I mean, you um, say you say in, that, in that, Dan. Match. I mean, last week, um, Chilwell fed through what I, I, I thought was a delightful ball through to Werner, who crossed for Mount to score a really good goal, if you remember. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. A lot of people have been talking about... Um, how how well Alonso is working with Werner, and I think that's absolutely true. I don't I don't think that Chilwell can't. I think Chilwell's just as capable of it. I think the yeah. interesting thing is that uh, Tuchel, I think it's it's a fascinating conundrum, isn't it? When you've got the likes of Ziyech, Pulisic, Havertz, he's all he's got to try and find a way to make it all work. Something that Frank I think failed to do, but it seems to me, and I you know maybe this has to do with Pulisic's form stroke injuries, Ziyech's form stroke injuries, Havertz form stroke injuries. But he seems to me to say to be looking, right, the first thing I need to do is get Werner firing. Because if I get Werner firing, I, he's going to score me a lot of goals. And if he scores me a lot of goals, we're going to win more games than than we lose. So I yeah. like the fact that he's focusing on, on, on Werner as the first problem to address. And, and, and he seems to be doing that, doesn't he? 
Yeah, it does. I think I think that that couple of the defence, what he made a very interesting point. I think the last year he brought Alonso on because he said Alonso comes on because of his height. Yeah, which is you know real real kind of tactical now. So I think listen, Vela starts scoring off Giroud or off Tammy, then the problem solved. You know, the, you know the, the monkey's off his back and people can start sort of you know enjoying his football again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, listen, it's been it's been a funny old season. You know, it's, it's been back to back seasons. You know, no criticism whatsoever. Love adaptation for all these players to get in. It's going to be a, you know, it's been, it's been a weird season. We lost Frank in January. You know, Tom, Tommy's coming. I always said the Wolves game was wasn't really. I don't really count that because he came in with twenty four hours notice mm. and just didn't have to lose. So if you, you know, take that out of the equation. He's had a, he's had a great run. He looked a lot more solid. We're not giving away any shots. I, I love to know the stats, shots on target we've given away in the last yeah. five matches. I, th- I think you'll be under ten. Yeah. To be honest, because yeah. neither keeper's had any saves well, to make. Well, I, I think there may be reasons for that, and I'm and I'm going to save that one for a bit later on. But Joe, uh, let's hear from you. I mean, if you, I mean, because we haven't spoken to you for ages, so it's nice to catch up. As I said, I mean, how have you felt about Werner going? I mean, because I mean, you know, we've all been you know watching Chelsea long enough to see plenty of Chelsea strikers come in with with high expectations and then fail spectacularly. I'll be honest with you, I never, I've never felt that about Werner. I, I, I've not seen him as a Robert Fleck or a Chris Sutton or a um, a Kesman or, or or whoever you want to label him as. I, I've always thought he will come good. Have you had the same feeling? I think at times this season there there have been some misses where I've I've been teetering, I'd say, on the edge of of going full Kesman with him. But I think. Come on, Joe. Nobody goes the full Kesman. <laughs> 99%-Kesman. He was almost there. But I think that the thing to his his credit is that he he's sort of constantly working. He's constantly, you know, asking for the ball. He's still sort of, you know, trying to get into games. I think maybe where other players have maybe faded or maybe kind of disappeared a little bit, not wanting the ball. I think the one thing with Werner is that he he literally is, is consistently trying. Like he hasn't lost the intention to, to score. I think the one really sad thing, certainly about the... The goal yesterday. I'm not sure it would have been quite on the level of Torres versus West Ham, but I think if there were fans in the ground, that could have been a little bit of a boost for him because I think that would have been a pretty significant goal for for people to celebrate. But I think you know he he tries incredibly hard. He's been getting in good positions. You know some of some of the finishing has been a bit erratic, but I think you you just have to hope that at the moment it's it's just a question of adapting to still adapting to the Premier League. Maybe I think as well. You know you look at particularly the the German boys who've come in. They won't have had that sort of winter break in over the Christmas January period that they would have had normally. They're playing all the way through. And there's a few little things that, that probably work in his favour, but I think that you know, largely, even if he has been a bit disappointing in front of goal, you could probably point to his work ethic and the fact that he's still kind of consistently trying to score. Whereas I think some players maybe would have probably would have faded a little bit and not not you know kind of been after the ball, not tried to get in those positions because it's a confidence thing. I don't think his confidence has dropped, and that's why I think you can keep faith with him. To, to potentially now kick on and, and continue to to score a little bit more regularly. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. I, I think that I've always felt that that German kind of arrogance and confidence would be indomitable. Uh, and let's hope he kicks on. It, 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 you know, if we can get that boy scoring, mate, crikey, we've got a player on our yeah. hands. Now, uh, the, in spite of all of that, in spite of the fact that he ranked, this is all according to Sky, obviously, who of course awarded him Man of the Match. Um, and actually, somebody I can't. I wish I could remember who it was on Twitter, but they said the only. It was probably Martin Wickham. It's always Martin who comes out with these pithy comments. But uh, the idea that Sky award the man of the match to the person that will give them the most in, in, interesting interview post game. So, yes. Martin, I love Martin Wickham, the world's greatest cynic, and God love him. Anyway, the stats are 
he had obviously one goal for uh, one goal so he was equal first rank uh shots for second in match rank touches an opponent's box 11 first open play crosses for first so they made they made him man of the match but jk he was not our man of the match was he that has to be and i mean actually we were all pretty universal on this on the, on the whatsapp group uh, it's matteo kovacic wasn't it he has the duracell bunny well, it's also this wonderful ability to, which he exhibited a lot um, when he first, um, uh, not when he first, when he first came to the club, his very first game, he was excellent. And I think Sarri then suppressed him, repressed him in an effort to get him to fix Hypnotized him. Hypnotised him, like a cobra. Rigid, rigid way of playing, yeah. But then subsequently, um, uh, Watford is an example, Watford away, where he was absolutely brilliant. It's the ability that he, and he's been replicating that in this this double six, is his ability to um, to get the ball where you think he's going to lose possession, he's going to be tackled, and just bully his way out of a, of a really tight situation where two or three players are onto him, and then drive through... And then because he's he's got out of this situation, he's left three players behind him and he's got masses of space in midfield. And this was an absolute constant for me in the game. But once again, it was Newcastle who were absolutely no, no, no. dreadful. You can only beat what's in front of you. I, there was a lovely that was a lovely pass to, to Werner where yeah, he, where, where, where Werner put it just over the bar. I mean, the thing that, Dan, the thing I have, I mean, I, I love Kovacic, and as Jonathan's alluding to there, I mean, and Jonathan, he's dead right. I mean, there's, it was no accident that Kovacic was our, our player of the year not that long ago. We know he's a good player. I think he makes a good point about what Sarri did to him. But, mate, never, ever, 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 ever let him shoot, man. I mean, I, no, I mean God, why? He's, he's awful. He's, he's awful, always the man in the, in the right place, but fuck. He just can't yeah, shoot. You, you think panic. I mean, yeah, he scored, a, I think, a Champions League last year from outside the box. He's got delusions of grandeur. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's, I think the most important thing in is he's had eight consecutive Premier League starts. And he's finally got some momentum because, you know, when you stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, it's hard to really kind of, you know, for certain players to really get going. I think he's been absolutely fantastic. I'm, you know, I've always liked him. But he's, he's not a flair player. He does a simple job as well. He lays it off, but just, just don't get. He's like Makaleli, you know. He'll get like three goals in his career, and that'll be it. But he I looks like a player you know, who should be able to shoot and score, doesn't he? I mean, you, you look at Kanté. So, you... Yeah. So go on, go so on. He, he does, but it's just it's not, it's not in his makeup. I mean, you know, I mean, he, you know, not every player's going to get 10, 15 goals a season. He's not. He'll get one or two for lucky. I mean, that that chance last night, you know, and it comes to. I mean, I don't think Georgina would have scored it either. I mean, neither of our midfielders are we're now well, for goal scoring in open play. It's a problem, isn't yeah. it? The lack of ability yeah. of players to shoot is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, Mason Mount would have put that on top bins, I imagine, that falls him out. It was certainly goalkeeper. It's, I tell you what, it's really frightening, isn't it? Dan, you've got, you've got to, if you get a shit, you've got to work the goalkeeper. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, it is frightening, isn't it? I mean, Joe, and this, this will resonate with you, I know, but it's not that long ago when we had in our midfield the likes of Joe Cole, Frank Lampard, Michael Essien, Michael Ballack, all of whom, I mean, Essien, some of the goals that he could score. And they could all shoot from distance. And now, and now, yeah. I mean, there's nobody, is there? But I mean, I don't want to get all down on Kovacic because I think he played brilliantly yesterday. And I think he's been quite, a, he looks back to his best for me under Tuchel. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think certainly the last few games he's played particularly well. Um 
I'm a little bit, I think, lower on him than, than other people. And, and I think the main reason being that I think this system that Tuchel was playing, this this kind of 3-4-2-1, whatever you want to call it, I think the the fact that we've massively compressed the spaces between the midfield and the attack and the defence, you can see things are a lot tighter on the pitch. It really plays to their strength, the short passing game. You know, people are closer to them, etc. They don't have to defend in spaces. My big concern is that is that for us to start looking upwards at City and, and starting to compete with other teams, we're going to have to play, I think, a slightly more expansive style next season. And then that's when it comes back to putting Kova and Jorginho in space where they've been, I think for me, particularly poor. And that, that, that for me is the catch-22 is if we want to go on and win titles, I think this style of football probably isn't going to get us to the, the point that we're going to... I think last three seasons, we've been on average 30 points off the champions. So it's a massive gap to close on, on the top teams. And I think to do that, you need a slightly different profile of players in midfield. Yes, they're playing really well at the moment, but I think it's because they're they're being really set up for success. I'm not sure if it's a, a style of play that's really going to push us forward in terms of winning titles. I think you're not a top four. Sorry, Chich, this is not, not a top four success. I think that it's looking to me like that. That's what he's aiming for at the moment. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, no, I, I agree. I agree on that. Um, in terms of finishing in, in the top four, that is the, that is sort of the aim. But yeah. I think for for us, in terms of standards and and trying to to be a competitive team again, I'm not sure if. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've been scrapping for top four with this group of players for the past three seasons. Well, that's where they are, isn't it, Joe? And it, and, yeah. it, and, it, and you can t- you're dead right, mate. You can tell that. And I think my, my analogy to the midfield that we used to have when we were incredibly successful really does hold a lot of water. And I, I, I mean, you know, answer me this, Joe, because this astonishes me. You know, because I know you're, I mean, I'm not saying you're a transfer rumour, you know, uh, you're not like the kids who like get all excited by it, but you really do have your finger on the pulse with that a lot more than I do. But it astonishes me that when whenever transfers are talked about, it's always, oh, another striker, another flair player up front or a defender. Nobody in this club seems to be looking at the midfield where the biggest problems bloody well are. Because until we sort the yeah. midfield out, it doesn't matter how good they are up front, because they ain't going to get the ball anyway, and we're not going to score enough goals from midfield to supplement them either. So what's going yeah. on, mate? I mean, to, to be honest, you could make the argument that we probably still haven't replaced Emmanuel Matic when we sold him to United, that Ooh, kind of profile of player. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I did a little bit of digging, just looking over the last 20 years in the Premier League, you know, kind of in terms of title-winning teams. Every single team that's won a title has had that kind of midfielder, aggressive attacker. You go for United, Keane, Carrick was great. Arsenal have Vieira, Gilberto Silva. We've had Makaleli, Yesu, Mikel, Matic. City have had Yaya Torre, De Jong, Fernandinho. And they've got Rodri in this, you know, Rodri, who's been, I think, excellent for, um, excellent for them this season. Leicester, Drinkwater, Kante. You could you could make the argument that they, they were that sort of profile. And Liverpool won the title when they went and got a Fabinho and they surrounded it with more physical players. So I think looking at sort of where we're heading with the profile of player that we've got, you know, I'm not saying that you could never win the title by not having a, a proper holding player in there. But for the last 20 years, every team that's won a title has had someone in there that is a ball winner. Is there to... A Declan to Rice, stop. for example. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, people look down on him, but he would be the, the perfect, be perfect player to then let other people, let, you know, let other people play. And I think that is one of our big issues. You, you look at City and how well they've played this season. That triangle they have with yeah. John Stones, with Ruben Diaz and, yeah. and Rodri in front of them, is, and not only that, they're young. They're going to be there for the next four or five seasons. We don't have that, and we haven't had that for a number of years. Frank knew, mate. Frank knew. Um, anyway, that that we could do a two hours on the midfield if I had my way, because it really gets me very, almost gets me JK angry. Almost, not not quite that angry, but almost. Uh, now, listen very quickly. We 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 can't do this show and not mention Tammy, uh, JK. I, I thought. 
I felt I really felt for him actually because I think he deserved a starting position. I really like Tammy. I think he gets a very very bad rap, but the stats don't lie. He scored thirty goals in the last season and a half. That's better than anybody else at the club, and it's a problem that we've got for scoring goals. So I, I I'm a big Tammy fan. Number, I mean, I go to you for this really because. You know, he got injured in a foul that should have led to a penalty. Please, on God's earth, explain to me why that idiot referee and the idiot in Stockley Park did not see that that was a foul and give a penalty. Just to digress, he was really upset about being injured, particularly because Steve Holland was there as well to watch him. And also he'd been given the opportunity. And um, it was so obviously a dreadful... Anywhere else on the pitch, he'd have been booked the cells because he did that... That thing of, of shithead player, by rap, the way, rapping is digging. Is he was leg. digging people all yeah, match everywhere, everywhere. And but also the push on Werner. Yeah. See the 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 the, the problem I, I will always have with with these refs is if you look at it. Um, I can't remember who was refereeing last night. Who was the Peter ref, Banks? Was Never yeah, heard Banks. of him. That's right. He 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 wasn't close enough to the action again to actually see the tackle. So why on earth he then decides? No, it's not a foul. I suppose he's waiting for VAR, but then VAR, um, uh, I'm sort of bemused why VAR didn't then make it a penalty. It was so obvious. But then was it Gary Neville tried to argue that somehow Abraham had deliberately left his leg there? I mean, and for, as if, you know, you just, you despair because if that was the case, why didn't he, it, it, I always think you can always tell if a player is in a situation where he's actually on goal and he's about to score, why would the player then, change his mind for shooting and sort of dive into the, the the defender to get the penalty. You think, no, hang on, he'll try and have a shot first and foremost because he wants to score. But anyway, but the tackle was obviously um, obviously a foul tackle. I'm not even convinced he, he flicked the ball. I thought he flicked the ball having gone through Tammy, every picture that you saw of it. So um, uh, yeah. you, you then the fact that he's then not backed up, uh, but VAR don't overrule it, just completely... I'm not confuses me. It just really, I rail at the complete ineptitude of the whole system when you see that. And once again, for God's sake, there's a linesman. Can the linesman who's got a better view, is he not allowed to comment anymore? Are they only doing ball in and out of play and, and offsides? Are they so obsessed with offside that they're not looking at any event that takes place? Have they now ceded completely to VAR, the refs? So they're not going to make a decision and they're waiting because... It was so obviously a penalty and a nasty foul. And then once again up the other end, Werner's just manhandled off the ball. And there's no, nobody looks at it. it well, obviously VAR looked at it, but why, how, therefore, therefore, how did they get the decision wrong? I mean, once again, the ref is miles away and I'll go on about this for ages. They are not fit enough. It's no good running the diagonal and hanging about. You've got to try and get as near to the play as possible. I mean, I've watched the rugby union at the weekend. I know that's slower and they have rucks. The referees are absolutely up with play, comment on everything, debate it. The linesman comes onto the pitch, debates it with the referee. We hear it. It works wonderfully. Please, could we just try and have some kind of change? Yeah, but if you did but- that, if you did that, JK. We, yeah. The reason they don't do it is because then we would all know how utterly incompetent, incompetent and arrogant they are. They are. Yes, <laughs> but it's absolutely so much to do with that. Well, like, let's, let's be fair. There is the odd one. I'm a fan of Oliver because Oliver seems to, um, he debates and you just see what he's saying. And also, he's up with play. Jesus, it's just so simple. 
that some of the how do you make a decision from 35 yards away you can't possibly do it if they say i'm running the diagonal no you've got them to rely on the linesman the linesman's so now obsessed with keeping up with play so that he can bloody put his flag down and not make the decision it is a disaster anyway that's the response i've given you to uh, um to your question well, about, thank the, you. about the penalty. Thank, so you very thank you very much. Thank you very, very, much. I'll, I'll now Take a bow. several minutes and have a lie down. Done. Done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what baffled, absolutely baffles me is with, you know, within two minutes of the half-time show on Sky, they proved it was a penalty. And then they get the same pictures of Stockton Park. So how they couldn't yeah. see the Senes clicking um, Tammy's um, foot in the first tackle. And then the teaser. And it just, I just do yeah. not understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Admitting the second one for Werner was it was a soft penalty. I mean, he, he was barely touched. So that one, I'm less angry about. No, that, he pushed him. He really pushed oh, him. Oh yeah, but you know, Tammy Timo went down so easily. I mean, you know, if he's gone against you, you'd be really missed. I think that that one was marginal at best. But that first one, I mean, I call penalty straight away in that position. Tammy's going to shoot. He's not going to look for a penalty when he's one on one with the goalkeeper on his best side. And he's going to shoot. He's not going to look for a foul. He's not at a really difficult angle. Exactly. Or, exactly. I just, I just don't get it. The, the VAR, are, there's no consistency. They're not fit enough. They're not fit for purpose. Mike Riley yeah. Yeah. and uh, anyway, IFAB, they're just, they're just jobs for boys. It just every single time, no consistency. I mean, listen, I see that the, the referee standards are the abuse they get on social media, like. Mike Dean got, but if you're continually overturning decisions, there's no consistency. Fans are going to get really pissed off. You want consistency the whole time. Uh, I've got a lovely comment. Yes, I've got a, lo- a lovely. I'm sorry to butt in, but I've just got a lovely comment on Mixler from uh, my good mate, Mr. Paul Crowder, who says that VAR, on the other hand, is just a way to make match fixing easier. <laughs> Which I think there's probably there's probably a lot of sordid truth in that statement. And uh, Paul, good to see you, mate. I hope you're well. Um, I mean, Joe, by, by all means, comment on Tammy. I, I mean, I'd just like really kind of uh, summarise it really by saying I, I hope he's not out for long. There doesn't seem to be any news on how serious or otherwise the injury is. But what I do want to do is to uh, to also move on to the biggest shock of the day, really, which happened before the match even started. Um, you know, I'd done a little kind of teaser with what I, I felt should have been the the team to start based on form. And actually, largely, I was... I was right. I mean, I've had Kante starting instead of Jorginho, obviously. Um, but otherwise, it was... Uh, and, and I would have had James in on the right and Hudson-Odoi further up, not Werner, but what do I know? But the, the, the thing that nobody, absolutely nobody, nobody predicted was the return of uh, Kepper Arithabalaga. Um I think it's really interesting that uh, and we'll go into the the whys and the wherefores in a minute. Um, but I again, I was I was really curious about Tuchel's uh, post match comments, which is where I've got the title for the show from. Das ist klar, he said. This is clear. Mendy is still the number one for Chelsea Football Club, uh, not Kepper. So it's really interesting that he played him, and he kind of basically said that he played him to 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 get his confidence up. So I kind of thought he'd shove him in a game a bit like Barnsley, where he didn't think we'd come up, come under much uh, pressure. And I mean, to be fair, he, he was right. But I mean, what do you, what do you reckon, Joe? I mean, as I said, by all means, give, give us your thoughts on Tammy, but uh, what did you think of Kepa starting? I think the, the Kepa starting thing kind of proves, I think Tuchel is just incredibly smart with how he's played the whole situation coming in. 
I think certainly, I know we'll talk about this in a second, but the people suggesting that even the Chelsea board are telling a manager to play a certain player, I think it's a little bit tinfoil hat for my liking. I think people will have opinions. People will potentially want to see you know, people being played because it increases value, etc. But I, I, the fact that people actually genuinely believe that sort of Marina has got you know in a tracksuit, it's gone down to Stamford Bridge and it's, no, he's giving she, team she talks. No, she wouldn't wear a tracksuit, Joe. She <laughs> would have thigh-length leather boots on at the very least, <laughs> and, and a very black, a black, a black <laughs> trench coat, leather trench coat with diamante encrusted on it. That's my vision of her at the moment. She wearing a top as well, or is she? Well, naked? of course, J.K. Come on, we have exactly. standards, you know. Anyway, Joe, go on. Sorry for interrupting <laughs> you with my weird fantasies. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think he's he's just very smart about how he's playing this. He knows that if he can drip feed Kepper into certain games, and he knows that he's going to sort of get a clean sheet and build some of that confidence back up. I think he's just building up momentum for for the summer when he can start asking for for certain players, certain types of profile. Maybe he can then start coming in with. Of opinions on players that are potentially leaving as well, so I don't think it's it's not some sort of you know well calculated kind of political move, but he's sort of taken the the chance and the opportunity I think to to play a guy against I think Newcastle certainly first half one of the worst performances I've seen at Stamford Bridge in a very very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he made some comfortable saves which boosted his confidence, and he looked pretty happy at the end. You know, if you can get him into the the consciousness of particularly some of the Spanish clubs. You know, potentially with with the summer coming coming up, etc. Um, it's not a bad move, and obviously, you know, in hindsight, we didn't concede. Kevin made a couple of decent saves. Um, I think even in the Barnsley game, I think he actually caught a corner. And I remember the the one amazing stat about him was I think that season that he was absolutely shocking under Lampard. It might have been first season he didn't collect a single corner all season. So he's obviously kind of improving a little bit in terms of confidence. So. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's yeah. to me just, just a view to, to try and build his comments back up and put him back in the in the shop window, per se. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, I think he did a good job. It hasn't been particularly challenged. I think Tickle did say number one for now. At the end, he didn't say full-time now, but I think he perfects it with number one no, for now. No, 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 Dave. He das ist klar. Yeah, he said for now. <laughs> at, at, at the moment, or for now, he said something at the end that Edu is number one for the moment. Listen, they're both decent <laughs> goalkeepers. They're not world-class goalkeepers. I think, was it Joe, you put something on Twitter about potential silence today, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I said we need we need a world-class goalkeeper because neither Lots of those... Lots of people did. Yeah, <laughs> no exactly. shit, yeah, me, me, me and 5,000 others. I mean, you know, the one for me is if you can get in the guy from Milan. He's got a great profile. Donnarabba. Donnarabba, yeah, because I think, you know, they're, they're decent goalkeepers, but they're not world-class goalkeepers. And we're not going to really kick on with either of those two in goal. Dan, um, listen, please for Kepa. Listen, he's, he's been absolutely piled on by people the whole yeah, time. Which is and he's shit. Made some, he's made some absolutely glaring errors. But, you know, he's kept two clean sheets. He actually had a smile on his face, which is great. Love, lovely to see it. And another one has had a tough tough time, personally. You know, people just forget that, you know, these footballers are human. And, if you, you know, if you if you lose your long-term girlfriend or wife after, you know, how long it's been, it's going to hurt. And some people recover quicker than others. You know, 100 grand a week doesn't make you, you know, immune from emotions. You're such a lovely bloke, Dan. You're all heart, mate, I've got to say. I mean, look, you know, okay, I know I'm prone to bouts of irascibility and impetuosity. What, you? Yes, me, I know, who knew? But when when somebody like Clayton Beerman, who is one of the nicest, uh, measured, intelligent friends that we all have at Chelsea... Is is uh, you can see the blood vessels on his rather balding pate 
looking like they might explode when you talk about Kepper and 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 Clayton's our kind of self-professed goalie expert. He says he's he's not good enough. Then I then I listen and I I really don't. I know what Joe was saying. You know, he was coming for crosses, but he just fills you with panic when he does because it's really <laughs> simple. He's not big enough to be a top-level goalkeeper. Mendy is a great big lump. He might not be world-class, but when he comes to clear through a ball, it gets cleared through. And against Barnsley, you know, Kepa had Tammy to bail him out. He ain't good enough. Whether it's... Um, I mean, I, I, I have to say, I, you know, Joe's a smart guy, as we all know, and much as I'm tempted... Well, I, I obviously quite enamoured of my fancy about Marina, and I'm, I'm always tempted by the odd tinfoil hat conspiracy, but I cannot see them demanding that a player gets played, um, no matter what the press had us believe with the fallout about Frank about Kepa. But... It was interesting that Martin Tyler, uh, JK, kind of alluded to it by saying, you know, by stating in a sense what jo- uh, Joe was saying too, that there is a business case for getting him playing again because if he isn't good enough, they're going to have to offload him. And uh, he was he was so shocking that nobody would buy him. So, you know, maybe Tuchel is, is, is working with the club to try and make that happen, do you think? It was the perfect team to play against. And obviously, apparently, he, he is quite forensic in his analysis of oppositions. Um, so if he's noticed how completely poor and dreadful uh, the Geordies are, then he probably thought, well, if there's an opportunity to give him a go and give him more confidence, uh, just in case Mendy is injured. But I mean, in this instance, I feel for poor old um, Caballero, who we all rather loved. Yeah. And uh, you know. who uh, I fear that may be the. Well, He'll probably carry on in the he's summer. He's 38, mate. I know if he's still interested um, as being the uh, the backup goalie because um, uh, I'm not convinced Kepa will be with us uh, come next season. It's a degree to which um, Chelsea give Tuchel all the power in the summer, isn't it? I mean, I personally, I think he's, he's you know, a friend of Guardiola, friend of Klopp. I think, by the way, I love, love the paper. The paper today saying somebody had said, uh, um, I've, I've asked Klopp, will he resign? And I love that. I thought, wow, <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. This is what we want. Oh, God, that's so <laughs> funny. That's so funny. He said, I will not, I will not be I will not be resigning. I will not be no. Resigning. No, not be quitting. But, um, yeah, so um, I'd, I'd love to see uh, um, ultimately what we, how we end up under uh, what kind of... of of formation and the players we have under Tuchel because I think he's the future. I think he's, uh, uh, um, and I think he's making do with making do with what we've got at the moment. We're trying to work out. I like him. Just, uh, yeah, absolutely. I so, like do I. Him. so do I. I love his, um, uh, I, I, I like his brain. I like his, uh, his, his wit. I like his, he's uh, human too though, JK. His, his, absolutely. But yeah. also his, his ability not to, to make, uh, not to be rude, to be, uh, to be, um, uh, discerning to be tactful. Um, no bullshit. Even no bullshit. Having said that, we you know we loved Frank at the beginning. Frank's abilities to communicate as well. But um, uh, given that he's only been given a year and a half, a year and a half uh, contract, I keep thinking, well, what's he going to cram in? Well, how does he get the confidence of the club to, to actually well, make but- it change completely in the summer? Well, he he gets them into the top four and possibly uh, win. Forget wins, it, get, J.K. Yeah, let it go because it ain't going to happen. I think what we what we know. I mean, I tell you what. By the way, people out there, if you haven't already, go and uh, look at uh, Son of Chelsea on Twitter at Son of Chelsea. It's D- Daniel Childs, who is a, a lovely, 
young lad. He writes for CFC UK as well, does YouTube videos. But he wrote a brilliant, I mean, a really brilliant piece on, on the sacking of Frank and how he feels about things. But he picked up on a lot of themes that a few of us have picked up on, particularly us, I have to say, which is just wave bye-bye to emotional attachment to managers because it is not going to work because they're going to get fired. One thing we know for a fact at Chelsea is that they're not going to last much longer than 18 months. It doesn't. They could make the fucking Pope manager and they'd still fire him in 18 months, mate. Do you think the Pope would be a good manager, though? Well, that was one that played. Tactics weren't spot on. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't perform enough miracles, so you're fired. That's what would happen. Um, Listen, no, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not having any attachment to Tuchel. I'm just saying. I hope you were getting. Be, I just sensed you were getting a bit. No, 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 no. I, I worry about you, J.K. I'm looking oh, out for you, so, mate. You're so sweet. No, no. This is. I, I, I fake sincerity very well indeed. So, um, you have to understand that. Uh, 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 no, what, what, all, <laughs> all, all I'm saying is, is that I'd like him to do well enough because I like him and I can see that he's a, he's a top <laughs> manager. So that he gets an opportunity to implement, they give him enough. They've got enough confidence in him to see we can actually then shape a side that is in his in his um, vision. And as you say, he might shape the side, and it might then you know get knocked out early, like of the Champions League that happened to poor old um, uh, Ancelotti, and and he'll be sacked. But I'd like to see I know, who, I know. who he brings in. You know, I'd like but, to see how he makes it work. I hate to interrupt you in full throw, and I'm really sorry for laughing so loudly, but. Mark Meehan just put up uh, on Mixler, the Pope would be good with crosses. Very clever. <laughs> Which I thought was the rather box. good. Anyway, <laughs> look, we, we're talking about Tommy Tuchel. And the, the Mark, that's brilliant, mate. It made me laugh, as you obviously have just heard. Um, you know, we're still... A, I mean, Tuchel's doing OK. I mean, as I said, never underestimate the delight for me of having a manager of whom I can do a really ropey German accent every week on the, on the fan cast. It, it fills me with delight. But he is doing okay. But I think there are some questions that that need to be asked. I mean, I know we're unbeaten under Tuchel still, and we're up to fourth, which is brilliant. I mean, aided and abetted by the what seems to be a common theme this season of, of, of teams losing games where you really wouldn't expect them to, which is playing merry hell with my Premier League predictions form. Um, but he is doing okay. But there's a sense to me that he's winning games that really, you know, we should be expected to win. So the couple of questions I've got, well, I'm going to ask them in one, actually, Joe. Number one, would we have won these last five, six matches under Tuchel, uh, under Frank? Would Frank have won them? And secondly, given that actually his induction as Chelsea's manager has been against five or six teams that we really should expect to win, and I include Tottenham in that, was it quite was it quite shrewd of the board to 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 kind of bring him in when they did? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer them in reverse. I think the the game, obviously bringing him in, like you know, twenty minutes before we played Wolves, was was interesting. Um, I'm certainly down on that in terms of I think the fact that we we looked pretty well organised for you know having one training session. And yeah, I mean, I, I think they would have looked at that in terms of fixtures and felt like this was a, a decent time to you know to make a mid-season move. Um, you look at sort of the next kind of block of fixtures we've got coming up, Atletico, etc., on the horizon, and if you maybe delayed the the, the move then, 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 you know, you've got an infinitely harder task to come in and try and not only sort of instill a, a style of play in the team, but to actually get some confidence back up in, in certain players. Um, in terms of looking at would we have won them under Frank, um, 
I don't think so necessarily. And I think the reason I say that is it's pretty clear that, you know, Tuchel has come in and I think I alluded to earlier, I think he's, he's generally a pretty smart guy and pretty politically aware. Um, you know, the reason that I'm, I'm maybe sort of slightly less enamoured with some of the players that have come back into the team under Tuchel, some of their performances under Lampard towards the death were embarrassing. And in some cases, you know, sort of waddling around the pitch, very, very least, for, you know, being a professional, I'm expecting someone in midfield to run maybe a tiny bit during a game. Um, so I think that the fact that the the relationship with certain players had kind of deteriorated um, to a point where I think some of them actually generally weren't even trying that much in, in games anymore. I don't think necessarily that it's something that the Lampard would have fixed in terms of, of, you know, I think he tried to bring Rudiger back into the fold towards the end of, of things as well, trying to get him on board, trying to get a few other players into the team. Um, I just think that there was, there's too big an element of, of senior players in the squad that had sort of given up on, on Lampard and, and maybe they'd been frozen out and we don't necessarily need to get in the ins and outs of, of everything that happened. Um, I just think at that point, I'm not sure that he necessarily would have would have won those games. And you could see with Tuchel bringing in, you know, the five or six players that sort of had been, been kind of, I suppose, considered to be guys that were going to go in the summer or guys that, that Lampard and, and co didn't particularly want to work with anymore. Um, the fact that they've come in and now they, they're, they're almost like fresh, you know, they've, they, they barely kicked the ball this season. Um, I think it's it's given Tuchel a little bit of a boost, you know, with new manager bounce, all this sort of stuff that comes in. But he's got them playing in a structure and in a way that at least is is producing the ability to to win games. So I don't think necessarily that we would have seen the same results on the Lampard. I think that's primarily because towards the end, I think it was pretty clear. You might have been the Leicester game where there were just players were just waddling about and there was no real real desire to to even run for run for the shirt. And when you get to that point with a manager, we've seen it numerous times before with, with Chelsea teams then it's a question of, of trying to get someone else in who can at least try to to motivate some of these players. The only big difference, just to, to round things up, is previously when players have kind of down tools and they've kind of, you know, done things that potentially a little bit uh, underhand, they've kind of gone on and won the Champions League or they've gone on and won the league title. The players that have down tools this time were kind of scrapping for a fourth place, you know, position. So it's a little bit, for me, a little bit less, uh, you know, I'm inclined to side with the players in this situation. But... Kind of is what it is, and hopefully, I think in terms of what Tuchel's doing and how he's getting people on board, that hopefully continues for the rest of the season. Because I think Champions League football is a big, big thing that the uh, the club need to try and either move people on or try and bring people in in, in the summer. Mm, well, that that I think you know we'll get into that in a few months' time, but I I, I don't think that that's going to be as straightforward as people like to think. I mean, I don't. Again, I, another quick tip for Twitter. Um, actually, I mean. Uh, given where you are these days, Joe, maybe they've nicked you know what you what should have been your Twitter handle, which is at Swiss Ramble. But uh, <laughs> they are fine people, I and mean, it's one of the best follows if you're interested in the finances of football clubs. But I have a sneaking suspicion that COVID is going to decimate the transfer business this summer, and yeah. that we may find that we're stuck with a lot of effing lemons. And it will be hard to shift them. So, I, I mean, watch this space in the summer because I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, interesting market because, of course, n- you know, the clubs really haven't been getting... None of the clubs have been getting match revenue uh, this uh, this season. They'll still be getting TV revenue, of course, um, but it won't be like it used to be anyway. Um, just to summarise this, this, Dan, I mean, are you with Joe on that, that it's kind of a, you know, the players had kind of given up the ghost so we might not have won these matches under Frank because it was going the wrong way and actually yes it was quite shrewd the club bringing uh, Tuchel in when they did because it kind of gave him a, a fairly straightforward induction Yeah 100% I think you know you know, Frank the minute we looked like top four was in danger Frank was dead man walking that's always been the club's policy because of you know the, 
the sheer revenue from, from Champions League football. I think, you know, as, as you say... Did they panic, mate, well, do you think? Possibly, maybe a little bit. But you just think, you know, he's, he's coming with, a, you know, winnable games. I think it's not everything that can be expected. And, you know, he, listen, he's an experienced coach. Frank, you know, Frank was not an experienced coach. That's the problem. I think, you know, once, once you lose the players or they don't believe in your methods, you're bugged wherever you are, how much respect you have in the game. If you don't, you know, have the players respecting you, you've got no chance. Yeah. And to- Tommy's turned it around. You know, <clears throat> the shift from where we were to where we are is incredible. Incredible swing. We're now, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, if we continue this vein of form, which, you know, we've got a good chance of securing four. Because the results go away, we could be sort of five, six points ahead of some of our, our you know, more established challenges. So it's, it's back. The ball's back in our court, which is a good thing. I mean, look, let's not not be stupid. It, it, it's clearly, it's clearly working under Tuchel for a plethora of reasons, many of which we're going to go into in part two in a minute. Um, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I think the most salient point that both you and Joe make is that I'm afraid this is for me the biggest blight on 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 the football on modern football is the the, the power that players and their agents have. And the way that they can cause so much trouble for managers, which they've done at Chelsea on innumerable occasions. I don't know the solution to it. I don't think there is one. Personally, I, I have to say, I, I, I think I think given whatever what else is going on around us, which is the up and down form of so many teams in uh, above us and in, and around us, and also the fact that we're not that far behind us, I think, I think if we'd have stuck with Frank, we would have got top four. But anyway, the thing is, we'll never know. And we have now officially moved on. And we are about to officially move on to part two as well. But before we do, just very, very quickly, uh, the new shiny, beautiful colour edition of the CFC UK fanzine will be landing on your uh, doormats fairly shortly, I think, because uh, it's definitely been published. Um, and as you know, you can't get it at the uh, stall on a match day because none of us are there, but you can still get it. Uh, by post so if you if you send an email to cfcuk at gate17.uk sorry .co.uk uh, and then you ask to subscribe and then dj will sort it out and basically it's a couple of quid per issue which includes first past post close to uh, first class postal delivery if i can get my teeth in uh, you can also get it digitally i mean it's much nice having a, a hard copy because then you can annoy your wife by having hundreds of copies lying around in uh, around the house, which could be used for other things that are apparently far more important. Not that I'm bitter. Um, so there we go. But you can get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. Uh, and uh, you can also get it on a fantastic app called Matchday Digital. So go and find Matchday Digital in your apps. Now, we will be back for part two in a flick of a lamb's tail. And uh, we'll be talking about. Uh, the first half uh, performance against the drop-off in the second half. We'll be talking about what Tuchel's scared of. Why did he go so defensive uh, with the substitutions? Why we're still so profligate up front? Are we dull to watch? And uh, and then we're going to have a horror, a horror look at uh, what awaits us over the next few weeks. So really cheerful stuff. I'm sure you'll join us for part two. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. 
Right, welcome back. This is uh, Stanford Chidge and the Chelsea Fancast. Always fun to be here on a Monday, apart from the fact that it's a Tuesday for the keenly observant amongst you. Now, uh, I'm joined as ever by the lovely Jonathan Kidd. The stupendous Dan Silver. Hello. And uh, my old mucker from uh, Gate 17 of years ago, in the old days when we used to be able to go to football matches, uh, the lovely Joe Tweeds. Evening, Chich. Good to see you, mate. Really lovely having you back on the show. We feel quite, having had the chat I've had with you in the half to, kind of halftime, bro, I feel utterly privileged having you on the show these days. So there you go. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, uh, as I said, this is going to be very too cool heavy, this part, I think. Um, and we've already kind of said that we're quite in, enjoying him, uh, you know, enjoy, enjoying the way he's managing the club and what he's doing thus far. We're being very careful not to have an emotional attachment to him because we know that that way insanity lies when you're dealing with Chelsea managers. Uh, what I was particularly interested in after the, uh, the, the Newcastle match were his comments uh, to the press, which um, I will summarise. But how he described the game, I thought, was spot on and very, very honest. He, you know, quite rightly said that we were good in the first half. We had some good energy in the first half. We were, we looked a threat all the time, but we were not precise, as he decided to use the word precise or decisive enough up front. But he was really critical about the second half. And this is what he said, more or less. Too many passes back not enough courage to go forward to get out of trouble, which I think is a really interesting statement, which he makes quite a lot. Not precise or decisive enough up front. Again, something that we're very familiar with. Not enough shots. Too busy. I mean, the inference was we were too busy protecting the lead and then not precise enough in our counterattacks or not aggressive enough for our counterattacks. And I thought, I'm warming to this bloke because he's he, he, there's no bullshit here. He's, he's calling it as he's seeing it. I mean, the interesting thing is he's not calling players out personally, which, of course, we all know is a very foolish thing to do at Chelsea because it tend, tends to lead to a very early exit. Um, but he's absolutely spot on with that. Um, Joe, I'll kick off with you. I mean, what did you think of his post-match comments? Because I, I, I have to say, I like the fact there's no bullshit there and he's calling it out. As you know, as you were saying, I actually had a bit of a flashback. Those comments remind me, or they're very eerily similar to what Frank Lampard said after the FA Cup final against Arsenal. Remember after the game, he was talking about too many yeah. people wanting to play side to side, playing five a side, simple passes, etc. And I think just relating this back to a little bit what I was talking about in the, the sort of first half of this, about the, the I think the inability and maybe the, the need for us to be a little bit more expansive. I think certainly, you know, his comments, and it's happened in a few games where teams have, have actually started to try against us and press us that we kind of go back into this very default, very kind of safe mode in terms of trying to keep possession. I think you're right. What you said earlier, it's, it's very sorry esque in the way that it's, it, you're trying to keep the ball to almost stop the team from, from countering you. So I think it, it's, it's going to be difficult for him, certainly with the personnel that he has in midfield to try and really kind of deviate too much from, from what's happening because as soon as teams press us, and the thing that concerns me is these aren't particularly good teams. They're not the Atletico Madrid's of the world, the cities, the Liverpools, etc. When they start pushing onto us, like they start pressing us a bit more. The it's almost you say this kind of innate sense of, of Kovo and Jorginho, and actually not just them, but the rest of the team as well, is to almost tuck in and, and start playing backwards, start being more negative. Um, there was far less of the, of the people trying to attempt um, some sort of decent through balls and actually just some aggressive passes in the second half. So for me, I think it's it's trying to figure out how you try and balance the, the structure of the team, which obviously you like in the first half. But there has to be a way where we can be a little bit more expansive or a little bit more 
I don't want to say a little bit more risk hungry or, or to actually just try a little bit more in terms of being on the front foot when teams press us. Because I think we, we you know, I know we're touching on it in terms of the you know, 500 defensive players on the pitch at the end of the no, game. I think but we that, can wield this in if you like, yeah, Joe. Yeah. That, that, can't, that can't be the solution to me to sort of close up games is to just be overly, overly negative and, and overly sort of sort of trying to well, just smother the game. But why do you think he did that? I mean, I, I, I've said, what's he scared of? Because I mean... yeah. And and I've noticed the last few games. And I'm not happy about this because you know we're you know Barnsley. I mean, it's, I feel a bit dirty saying this because it's something that we used to totally and utterly applaud Mourinho for. Go two 0 up, he'd shut the game down, and we'd laugh and go to sleep for half an hour, or whatever. So I feel a bit dirty being critical about it. But I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this is not what you said when you turned up. You said you wanted to play aggressive attacking football and, yeah. and hump the shit out of teams and what are you doing you're getting one nil two nil up and then you're bringing on defensive players to shut a game out against Newcastle and Barnsley why is he doing it Joe yeah I, I think there's for all of the uh, the comments that he makes publicly about you know liking players and and, and as you say the, the comments about the star when he first came I still think that there's a huge uh, you know there's I think there's a hugely obvious problem in terms of midfield where we have kind of a, a need for an extra body you know, he has played a lot of 4 3 has played a lot of three central midfielders. I do think at times when we're getting pressed, the one way to maybe counter that is to have an extra body in there to give Kova and to give Jorginho a little bit more support. Um, but in terms of what he's doing, I just think it's purely because he's trying to see games out. And I don't think really, even for all the positive comments he'll say about the pair of them publicly, that he'll trust them to really see out a game. You know, I mean, we're talking about Newcastle and Barnsley, but I mean, when we get into the... Know, the Atletico Madrid, the City, some of the teams we've got to play in this run coming up. I don't think you can really get away with having the two there, particularly if, if you've got a goal lead. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a thing where he trusts them to really do the work that he wants them to do, be on the front foot, to still be aggressive on the ball. Because we've seen them certainly in in games this season, and even under Tuchel, where teams start to pressure us, that they start dropping back further and further and further, and that creates those gaps between the attack. And then as soon as there's space, then there's more problems and. I think he's just trying to stop that kind of eventual space that's being created by them dropping deeper and deeper and deeper. That's a good point. JK, you wanted to come in? Yeah, but I just, I just want, I thought it was, a, it's almost as if to me, he's noticed that their default is to panic uh, when they're pressed. And yeah. they, they seem to lose the ability to, to um, be, be capable on the ball that they've got if the other side is, is much more passive. And they start playing very short passes to each other. So even if they are keeping the ball, it, it, uh, the mistakes just increase and increase. And I wonder whether he, it's kind of a, a setup that um, Frank noticed as well, that they're, they're almost in this kind of um, panic mode and he can't get them out of it. So rather than attempt to get them to play more expansively, he embraces it for that period and therefore brings on the more defensive players to play out the game, knowing that they will at least be comfortable playing this way. But I think it's, um, I actually think it's a mindset in the team yeah. that as somehow uh, they, they need to get, out, they, I don't know how he gets out of it to create well, the I kind do. of football he wants. I do. But how do you do I it? I said it, said it in the intro. I what, smell the Yeah, I smell the legacy of Sarri here. No, indeed, indeed. And the I, legacy yeah, of Sarri yeah, is Jorginho. Yeah, and this yeah. will not change until he leaves the club. Well, I don't think it's all down just to Jorginho. I do. It's how he plays, mate. 
I mean, yeah, no, no, but I, I agree. But I think it's also I mean, Conte is even is even guilty of it. Well, I think they've all they've all very been, short yeah. parties. You it's know? all it's all been imbued into them, and that's the legacy of the Sarri era. But you yeah. know, we didn't play like this before Sarri turned no, up, and indeed, and, indeed, uh, indeed. and and Jorginho turned up. Yeah, Dan. Oh. It just could be something simple, just confidence, and the fact now results are more important than yeah. style. Yeah. You know, you go up against Newcastle, they score a goal, the nerves kick in. It's about getting three points. You know, yeah. this season's now really about because we've had such a, a a mess. It's just getting top four. If it's going to be ugly and attritional, so be it. You know, this is this isn't his team, and there will be potentially changes over the summer. I think right now we have to suck it up and see what happens. I mean, listen, if we if we get in the season top four, you know, court semi-finals of Champions League or whatever, then it's going to be a decent season. You just right right now. Tickle's been in a month, hasn't really properly got his proper time with all his players. I mean, this this is the first week he's got, and yet he's given two days off to really kind of, you know, implement his style. He's given two, excuse me, two days off. So I think it's right now, it's confidence is a huge thing as well. I don't think necessarily can label the blame at Jorginho. I think it's well, just... Uh, well, I, I can, and I and I just did. And But that, that having been said, I do take your point. I mean, he has only just come in. And I, and I said that in the intro too. I think... I think that there's a lot to be said about any new manager coming in, knowing how tough the gig and how tough the brief is at Chelsea. He's got to get top four. Otherwise, he'll be out on his arse, I expect. So, you know, he's got to play smart. And playing smart means grinding out results and being pragmatic. And, and you know, none of us here, if, if we went, if we won every match 1-0 to the end of the season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be absolutely ecstatic because we'll be in top four and it's, and it's great. But I'm... I, I, there is something very simple he could do, and that's not play Jorginho, you know, because if you play Kante and you play Kovacic in, in the double six, why can't they do a good job? Billy Gilmore can do a good job. You know, I cannot understand, you know, I just cannot see his breaking out of this style of play while he's there. Now, I'm not, not trying to be unduly down on Jorginho. I, 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 I like the guy. He's a, he's a good football player, no doubt about it. But, you know, if you play him, this is what you get. And I can't see why why Tuchel is so wedded to that. I mean, I know he wanted to bring him to PSG, but I, I just don't understand it. Joe, can you try and talk some sense into me here? I, I very much agree, Chidge. Um, <laughs> yes! One nil. <laughs> I, think I mean, we all I, agree I'm not. With I'm you, not, I'm not the... Just we want to we want to hear it from Joe the Brain. <laughs> so do I, mate. I'm dying for so it. I, I actually I actually went with the Joe ninety as, as a nod to the to the, uh, the Brain there, for, yeah, yeah, from the yeah, last time. Yeah. Um, I think with with Jorginho, and it's one of the ironic things about conversation on Twitter. People talk about, you know, he's there to set the tempo and he's there to do this, set the other. Only but if you the want tempo... the clock to run fucking slow. And that's the thing, Chish. The tempo that he sets is slow. It's yeah. short passing. It's it's you know taking too many touches on the ball. It's not playing the right pass. It, that that is sort of the the short game that he plays. And I think the the one the one comment that has irked me a little bit about Tuchel, I've seen him sort of mention that Billy Gilmore needs to get a little bit more physical, which I do agree with. But then. Jorginho is probably the most, you know, unphysically impressive footballer in the Premier League. There was one moment, one moment in the, I think it was the second half where he got pressed by one player and thrown to the ground. And again, they were nearly attacking us within within two seconds. So I'm a little bit, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that I follow Tuchel with that comment about Gilmore, but it's it's tricky to it's tricky to get the balance because he does want someone in to control the game, but you can control it by not playing, you know, minus 15 miles an hour. I tell you what, mate, I, I, one thing that occurs to me is that I, I think one of the reasons why all of these bloody managers are so enamoured of players like Jorginho 
that because they're so fixated on stats and possession you know we we are in the year of possession based yeah. football so they get blinded by this kind of idiocy that oh he's great in possession he's really great at passing they don't look at it in a more holistic way is the ball going forward is it going to somebody who can cause a threat you know they don't i don't think they look at it like that so it's like oh we got to have Jorginho because he gives us possession well, possession is bullshit if you don't do anything with it. Or more to the point, Joe, as you were saying, the minute he gets pressed, the minute they stick two people on him, he can't cope with it physically. He gets run past. And boom, we say this yeah. every week. I say, I feel yeah. and sound like a broken <laughs> record here. I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going to like get in touch with my happy place immediately. So that would be Mourinho in the, you know, the leather boots and the whatever. There you go. I'm already feeling calmer. There you go. It's wonderful. Amazing what... What well, a good bit of psychotherapy can do. Self-psychotherapy. Right. What I did want to move on to was another thing that I think Dan was really talking about as well, and, and Jonathan, all of us really. But I, I love that phrase he said, JK, about not having the courage uh, to move the ball forward. It, it takes more courage to do that. And I think we're all kind of going this way, really, is that they play it safe. They play it risk-free. And Dan was saying it could be a confidence thing. But he's right, isn't he? You know, you've got to have the courage and the balls to like to knock it forward and try and play your way out of trouble going forward rather than play the easy pass back. And they they seem very reluctant to do that. Well, there's a kind of uh, um, of it, it's an e- it's it is it's an easy way out, and you're not putting pressure on yourself. And I suppose the other thing is you're not giving the the, the second you give the ball away, um, decent sides will. Well. Uh, attack you and And we can't have it both ways because we would moan if that happened wouldn't we of course we would but um i i honestly think so much of it is down to having a midfield or even players who can hit the target much more you know i i I even even uh, up front earlier yeah sorry up front well we're up from wherever just passing to to no 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 i think they're decent part you know they they rake 35 for 40 yard balls i mean christensen's ball to uh Werner yeah. for the first goal. It's fabulous. It was superb, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, they, they've got that skill, but it, they need to be in space to be able to do it. They need to be not under pressure to do it. No, I, I honestly think the the fact that all right, we got we had more attempts on goal um, yesterday. Once again, it's because they were so poor. But uh, um, th- having all these players who do who cannot hit the target, or when they do have a pos- they're in a position to shoot. Um, if they do so, it's disastrous. So half the time they're thinking, what is my option here? I will lay it off to somebody who will supposedly have a better shot. And I'm, as I said at the beginning, even a doy is, is uh, guilt, guilty of that. I've they're got a theory on this. Extra, what's your theory, Trudge? Well, because it does... I mean, again, it's interesting to hear what Joe Joe was saying at half time actually, about Hudson Doyle, which you, you might have missed, but... Um, I think he's doing really well. I think he's getting back to his best. And and I don't think it's because Frank didn't play him enough. Joe, sorry. I think it's because he's still recovering from his injury uh, mentally, if not physically. Uh, and I think it, it takes time to get over an injury like that. And he's young, remember. He's young, but he's doing better. He's getting much better. But I think it's interesting when he plays on the right. I keep asking myself. He gets into these cracking positions to shoot. Yeah, and he never does. He ends up bloody passing it to Kovacic of all people. Anyway, he always, he particularly lays it. Whether this is yeah, a but move J.K. We've seen him. We keep saying he's better on the left, and the number of times we've seen him play in. on the left, he comes in on his right, and he's got yeah. a great shot on his right yeah. foot. Maybe yeah. he's a bit one-footed. 
is my, well, he, my should point. Work, he should well believe it or not he should work on it i mean yeah but you know some, some if know, you're right I, footed, I, you're right footed. i know but it's just because we want the best because it, i but as i keep going on potentially i keep seeing a you know really t- terrific player but the the benchmark is so enormous so high for these players you know you want to get a winger who just who it, the who maintains a level of excellence each week so that we think bloody hell he can win the game he'll win the game for us and we're not getting that yet. I, I've, we, got, I've got, a, I've got a comment from Paul, which I, I must, yeah. I must. We have addressed actually because we've been saying, well, hang on a minute, look who we played recently. None of them, none of the teams that we've played have really had any ambition at all. Barnsley, I think, are the only side that really have had a go at us. PC Paul Crowder says, for the record, we've conceded one goal with Jorginho in the side. Well, I think that's because we got a back three, Paul, which suits us better. Uh, Tuchel's record speaks for itself right now. I agree with that. I think the criticism of Jorginho is harsh. He's working for us. Well, again, as I said, and, and Joe will re- will uh, will validate this for me. The minute we play somebody who stick people on Jorginho, and well, Barnsley did. You know, they the minute actually they wasn't playing there to be fair. Ooh, cough. Uh, but you know, the minute you the minute you put somebody on Jorginho and you pressurise him. It all crumbles. That's the trouble. He's great. And and we've said it on last week's show. We actually said he'll probably start against Newcastle because they won't have any ambition. So that means we can keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball and put people through. And it works very well then. And I accept that. But I just don't think he's the long-term solution. And even against Newcastle, it all broke down a bit. Dan? Yeah. So part of the problem was that <clears throat> Kante's not being fully fit. And there's no point in playing him. Now the fact that Kante's fully fit, we might see Georgina jumping back to the bench. We'll have Kovacic Kante amount, which is a much more sort of you know progressive he's midfield. Not been fully fit. I just don't think he's been very good when he's played. No, but he has. He's had, he's had eighteen months of injuries really since he was wrist oh, in the oh, UEFA Cup. I, I feel we're slightly, you know, going back on that excuse. You know, you either. Well, we we don't know to be fair, Jacob. Oh, once again, we don't know. I know, but I I, I would you know. What do you do? He is not did anything put, like the player he was. Did you before... put Kante to a junior together. Yeah, yeah, those two together, Kante, Jorginho, and Mount, and there's a much better midfield. But then you don't play Kovacic. But then where do you put Havertz in? You know, it's, no, it's, know. it's well, a conundrum. We've got an unbalanced midfield. That's we have an we... unbalanced squad in Sorry? that respect. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I want to ask uh, because I know, I know that Joe has got a lot of time for Hudson Odoi. So before I, 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 we take a look at what's to come, Joe. What, what what do you think of my point about Hudson Odoi? You know that's what you, that's what happens when he plays on the right. You you just don't get him shooting as effectively. Whereas if he plays on the left, he's going to cut in more and have a pop because I know he can do it. I've seen him score, score some superb twenty thirty yarders uh, yeah. coming in from the left. I think the the problem that we have certainly if you look at the the wide players that we have, I think Callum is the only player who's probably capable of maintaining natural width on one side of the pitch. So if you're trying to kind of you know, spread the pitch and try and create options and passing lanes as a forward, if you look at all the guys who play on the left, they're all kind of inside forwards. They're kind of inverted wingers. They all want to come inside all the time on their right foot. When Pulisic plays on the right or Werner, et cetera, they're just, for me, just not particularly effective. But I think Callum maybe is at the moment a little bit of a victim of the fact that he can play, on stand on the touchline, he can beat a player, he can put a cross in. So he kind of keeps the, the pitch wide in that respect. So I think for the... From a tactical perspective, the reason that he's probably playing there at the moment is that he gives you that that sort of natural width. But I do completely agree. If if I had my personal way in terms of it, and certainly the form that he's starting to build himself into, both in terms of confidence, I think your the point about his his sort of being comfortable again with his injuries is massive as well. I think earlier in the season he did make a point after a game saying he still wasn't 100 yeah. percent 
confident with with the injury. But I think if you can get him playing from the left hand side, I think he's he might be our best winger. Yeah. And I'm including all, all, all of the big money yeah. guys. Just think his directness, his his skill, his ability to take people on, and his confidence at the moment. Um, I think he might be the guy to play there. But as I said, I think if you're if you're playing this system where it's it's very narrow, you've got you know Tammy down the middle, Timo basically playing sort of five yards to the left left of him, Mount kind of floating. You need to have some sort of width in that final third to try and stretch the the, the opposing back three or back four out, and that is probably where Callum is at the moment. Is more of a natural player on that side. Yeah, totally agree with all of that, Joe. Um, right, okay, so we're going to wrap this part up really by having a, a a bit of a horror look at what's to come because I mean, you know, as I said, I think on the whole it's been good. You know, we're winning games. He's sorting it out. He's having a look. You know, as I said, I really don't think we're going to see the best of Tuchel until next season when he really gets to put his. Uh, imprint onto the team with the players that he wants and the system that he wants and he's worked all of that out but you know I think he's doing a good job and and I like what I see and I like him too um but actually the real test is about to come because I think he definitely has had a bit of an easy induction with some of the games that we've had all of which we would have expected to have won what we're about to for what we're about to receive please make the, the lord make us truly worried actually because um we got Southampton next Saturday now you know, Southampton have been a weird team this season. You know, some they've been really, really good. They've been shocking recently. I think they've lost the last five. So, you know, six. six. Thank you, Dan. So, seven. you know... Seven. Is it seven? Any, yeah, any six, Okay, yeah. any, any advance on seven? Eight. Eight. eight, eight. Nine. Bottom Nine. line is they've lost a lot of games. Nine. So you can absolutely they're gonna, they're gonna guarantee... Game, so. Well, I reckon they'll turn up on... Saturday, but we should win that game. I think that's a winnable game. But then, of course, the real big test is the one that's been looming on the horizon for a long time, which is Atletico Madrid away in the first leg of the Champions League uh, uh, round of 16. Uh, and then we've got a horrible run of league games. We've got United at home, Man United at home, Everton at home, Leeds away. That you know, Man United at, at home and Everton at home, tricky matches. Leeds away, a tricky match. Then we've got the return leg of Atletico Madrid at home. You know, that's a tough match. Then we've got the FA Cup uh, quarterfinal against Sheffield United. A tricky game because they're, I mean, we should win it, but, you know, it's a cup match. And then it gets a bit easier where we've got West Brom at home, Palace away, Brighton at home. Brighton and no mugs. Then we've got West Ham away. Again, that'll be a tough match. And then we've got Fulham. Uh, and then, you know, we're into the running for the season. So we are going to find out, uh, Dan, aren't we, a lot more about Thomas Tuchel. And his new Chelsea, his brand new Chelsea side over the next, I'd say, six weeks. Yeah, <clears throat> this, this, this is seen the, a season-defining six weeks for us. I mean, you know, Southampton, as you say, we, we should win. They're on a dreadful run of form, but then Chelsea are the charity club, aren't they? You know, you're guaranteed somebody's not won or somebody's not scored. I tell you what, Chelsea mate, you know what the biggest there. pisser is? Is that it's one of my favourite away matches of the season, and I end up with you in the in the giddy bridge getting absolutely giddy, yeah. wankered, and I'm really going to miss it next Saturday. I know, gutted. Um, listen, Southampton play football, they're not going to sit back, so that, that might help us a little bit, because you know they, they need to win, they need to get back on form, so they need, they're not going to sit in for the draw. Um Atletico Madrid, listen, who knows, a fantastic side, but, you know, as long as we come away with a chance, it's going to be a good result. And then United, listen, United have dropped points against West Brom and Sheffield United recently, so, yeah. you know, there's a bit of a, a fake fanfare about how good they actually are. They're, hot, you know, Marmite at the moment. I mean, the, the only side that, the re I mean, if we're looking at this, you know, in the round, as it were, the only yeah. two sides that we've got left to play that really scare the shit out of me at the moment are Atletico Madrid and Man City. 
Everybody yeah. else is eminently beatable. Yeah, and none of those teams. I don't get scared by those teams. I think United have got a lot of luck. You know, take away Fernandez's penalties. Uh, you know, the bang average. Everton, and you've seen them. You know, they go and win five four against Spurs and going home to Fulham, so that they're beatable. Um, if we were on oh, game on Fulham aren't bad though now, now Dan. No, Fulham but still, you, you expect Everton, who, who've got you know hopes of getting to Europe, you expect true, them to beat true. Fulham at home. True. And they, they, they were absolutely woeful. I mean, Fulham were very good, but Everton were They woeful. were woeful against Fulham at, the, at Craven Cottage in the second half as well. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. No, but also that they've got, Fulham have now got this boy, Josh. Madger. Um, yeah, who was the, who, who starred in the Sunderland Till I Die program. Yeah, you I thought it was him, yeah. yeah what a strange affection yeah, for this guy who you've seen. seen <laughs> just being, it's quite clever that, you know, you think, oh, God, I'm really interested in him. I, I thought it was really interesting. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, Joe, um, what yeah. do you, what do you make of all of this, Mister Tweeds? Um, I mean, I would imagine you would agree with my assertion that the the only two games really to scare us would be the Atletico Madrid and the Man City uh, away game. Uh, but I don't think they won't define our season, will they? I don't think so. Um, I think the Madrid one and certainly the the whole tie for me is interesting because. I don't think I think I'm right in saying we haven't won a Champions League knockout game since we beat PSG in 2014 yeah. April. Yeah. So we're approaching seven years to so not winning, winning actually winning a tie in a, in a knockout game, which for a club like ours isn't ridiculous stat. The fact we've we've not won a game in Europe or, or the Champions League, I should say, for that long. So I would love to kind of get that done and dusted because it's it's getting to be something that irritates me irrationally. Um, I think City, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the standout team this season um, in the league. And I think, you know, but the thing is, if we go there and play and play, you know, on the counter, we try and not play them at their game. And, and I think sometimes in the past few seasons, we've gone there and been quite naive in terms of how we've tried to play them, try and play them at their game. I think, you know, we'd be happy to take a point there. But the rest of the games, I think they're, I think you're right. They're, they're certainly winnable. And, you know, you just really want to start taking points from from the teams around us. Um Got to remember as well that there are a lot of, um, I think certainly this, is it, I think it might be this next set of fixtures where United and a few others start playing each other, and you know people can start drawing, we can start maybe getting a little bit of a dent into into second place. But um, yeah, I don't think it, we're quite at the point now where it's season defining. But if we can certainly rack up some wins in the next few games, be a little bit more confident in terms of the the running. Because um, I think for the past couple of seasons we seem to always have a particularly tough set of you know four or five games to, to close the season. So. Yeah, but I, I, the Atletico Madrid one, yes, they're a fantastic team. I would love to just win a game in Europe just to get that, that done and dusted. And then I think you're right. I think the City game is the one where you're, you know, maybe not going in there with the biggest of hopes, but I think the rest of the games potentially is yeah, sort of places that Tuchel can pick up points, certainly. Well, I, just say, I think the fact that we've not um, progressed in the Champions League past the knockout round is a kind of yardstick for how much the club has... Um, 100%. Has, has, has gone down a level. Seven and, uh, years, JK. Yeah, exactly. And and it's something that, that the club really need to rectify because um, we're, we're, ultimately we're not elite anymore and it needs to be an elite club. Yeah, I mean, but really. this is this is the this is the problem. You know, this is what happens when you the club uh, expedite strategies or lack of them like they have for the last seven years, skimping on 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 players, buying dead weights. Absolutely. Chopping and changing managers, having no long-term plan and structure yeah, in place, yeah, yeah. which is why I know people think we're all throwing our dummies out by getting all emo- over-emotional about Frank. It wasn't just Frank being sacked. It was the destruction of what we thought was going to be a yeah, long-term absolutely. plan. Absolutely. To bring us back to this level, JK. Absolutely agree. 
You know, mm. I mean, somebody put a lovely tweet out the other week comparing uh, the number of uh, finals and semi-finals we got into the Champions League between two thousand and four and and twelve, and then since, and it's it's almost laughable the comparison. We've been absolutely dog shit in Europe in Champions League anyway for seven years, and I think you know that is directly attributable to the senior management in the club. Anyway, that is a story that no doubt we will pick up, uh, I think. Let me just think. When will it be? It'll be mon- next Monday's show. We'll be doing a preview of the Atletico Madrid game, which, apart from anything else, I'm really looking forward to because there's nothing like us pitting our wits against the best in Europe. And Atletico Madrid are, I think, one of the best sides in Europe. It'll be really interesting to see how Tuchel approaches that. I can't wait for it anyway. Um we're going to go to part three in a second, where we've got some great emails to read out. But before we do that, a uh, quick shout-out, as always, for the Chelsea Supporters Trust. Uh, Dan Dan is a, a mainstay of the Trust. I'm just a bit bit player these days, Dan. I've kind of like semi-retired, really, haven't I? You're still, you're still the main man. No way, man. no way. I've, I've given you all my press contacts, mate. If I've given that, then I've, you know, I've given up the ghost when I've done that. Henry Wins, I, I told them all I was taking over, like Henry Wins was the first reply, saying good luck, Dan. Really? Which is really nice to hear. Oh, well, there you go. Henry Winter's a lovely chap, but we all knew that. Yeah, anyway. I sent an email, a big CC did one. Oh, right. And Andy Dillon as well. Oh, well done. I, don't, I haven't seen uh, that email. Yeah, it was a nice reply. Did you email, did you copy me? Oh, no, I, did the, I did the BCC to all the, no. Right, right, I'm I with you. I, I okay, no, 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 no. I, I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, I misunderstood. Oh, I misunderstood what you meant. Sorry, no, yeah. I, I get it. All right. Anyway, five quid for members. If you're a member, that means you can vote in the elections. Of course, you can attend any meetings that we have. Uh, it is also free. You don't have to pay. Although I can't see why you wouldn't. It's only five quid a year. And of course, if you don't pay, you can't vote. But you can be a member, a non-voting member. Now, if you want to know more, just go to chelseasupporterstrust.com. Uh, follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. And while we're talking of the trust, we've now launched the uh, Big Stamford Bridge virtual sleepout, uh, which is being held on March the twenty seventh. Um, bit different this year because we can't all sleep at Stamford Bridge uh, like we did last year. Uh, I I will be sleeping in my garden shed. Dan, where are you you taking part in this one? Yeah, I'll probably be in my garden. He'll be in the garden? Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I've set up my fundraising page, so I'm going to plague you with that over the next few weeks. But if you want to take part, and this is the thing, because it's virtual, anybody, you don't have to come to London. Anybody, even if you're in the States, Australia, it doesn't matter where you are. Although, obviously, (laughs) it'll be a different time of the day for you guys. But you can still take part. Uh, If you want to know more, just go to the Chelsea Supporters Trust website, chelseasupporterstrust.com. Uh, it's on the main page there, and you can uh, and you can basically sign up. You can either sponsor people, donate money, or take part yourself and raise some money for a very good charity, which is Stoll, who are our neighbours at Stamford Bridge, who look after uh, veterans with mental health problems, who are homeless, what have you. Very good, uh, worthwhile cause. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute to talk through the emails. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Footballfancast.com. Welcome back. This is Stamford Chidge and uh, the Chelsea Fancast with Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Hello, everybody. And uh, his butler, Mr. Dan Silver. Hello, sir. <laughs> 
Good to serve you. And the, yes, and uh, and our and our and our management consultant tonight is Joe Tweeds. <laughs> Evening, Chich. There we go. What a what a fine team we got in tonight. Really enjoying it so far. Uh, lovely to see Joe, of course, because we haven't seen him for ages and ages and ages now. We got some great emails this week. This one is going to get on noodles. Uh, really going overtime. Uh, J.K. It's from your friend the Philip noodles. Kenley. The noodles will be playing a lot then. Philip Kenley, hello. Um, hi all. Uh, just a few comments I would ha- love to hear discussed. Number one, how lucky is TT? The gentle set of starting fixtures we've been talking about that is clearly a dream for a new manager. Uh, even Spurs, who can often be a pain in the rear, did not show up. Though, as one of the pundits said last night, this could have been in the thinking of the Chelsea board, as getting off to a good start is so important. We discussed this as well, Philip. Amazing. I suspect that there is truth there, and one can only give them credit for that. Number two, how lucky is TT? Well, once again, no Kepper games and two, sorry, no, sorry, sorry, two Kepper games and no goals conceded. The pundits last night missed something I think has become clear. They suggested that this was a board decision. Nah. Well, maybe, but I doubt it. Exactly, Philip. It could have gone horribly wrong, but playing Kepper in a couple of soft games could be considered genius. Yes, as I said uh, previously, said this. If he's um, forensic about opponents, as we've heard he is, he'll have looked at Newcastle and revealed that they were poor. Um, By showing Kepper that he had faith in him, TT is giving him a huge confidence boost. By declaring after the game that Mendy is still the number one, is correctly keeping Mendy from getting nervous. Kepper is still our number two keeper, and who knows if we will need him. By boosting his confidence and showing that his manager has faith in him, TT is preparing for a situation when we really do need him. I thought he may even play him for just one more versus Southampton, but I think we should be very happy with how he played this out and the result. Number three, Zayek. He really does not look like a Premier League player. Uh, We really do have too many wide players. This hurt Frank badly. Makes me sad thinking about it. And yes, the the revelation, Chidge, that when you said that he he lost possession against Barnsley 25 times and contributed nothing, passed to no one, did nothing, was absolutely damning, particularly since he played so well uh, when he um, first started playing for the club. So... What has happened there? Anyway, number four, Chilwell, question mark. Wow. Clearly, Alonso is better in the system we're now playing. Bigger as well, taller. It's not that cool buying a player like Chilwell and not heeding heeding him and not needing him, is it? Number five, Mount. Despite all the praise he gets, I still do not think it is enough. No one even mentioned his name after Giroud's goal. The keeper would never have spilt the ball without the immense pressure that Mounts put on whilst attacking the cross. It was Mounts' assist and it was brilliant. I think he is way more influential now than Eden was. Every single game he is a factor without exception. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like it. It's weird, isn't it? We we, we didn't mention how good Mount was as well. It's his, it's his default. He's just, he's just perpetual, non-stop. I wouldn't um, Eden was a very different player, but his his activity, Mount's involvement and activity is phenomenal. I agree. Number six, Kovacic. He really is the water carrier, right? Way more than Makaleli was. If only he could bloody well shoot, he'd be elevated to one of the finest footballers on the planet. Seriously, I don't think that's ever going to happen, Philip. Sorry. TT, uh, number seven, TT. Sadly, we've been shown that one cannot really expect any novice manager, no matter their footballing experience, to compete with the best coaches in the game. There's been this narrative around Chelsea using Frank 
to get us through the transfer ban. This is idiotic. Of course, the board wanted Frank to be successful in the long term. They may even have thought that it was unlikely, but they still would have wanted nothing more than Frank to become a managerial legend at Chelsea. The difference between these folk and us is they will not let emotion get in the way of what they see as the correct decision for the club. They saw Chelsea's progress being reversed and they acted. Maybe they wouldn't have if they thought the manager they needed was not available, but he was. Whatever happens, we can already see that Frank had made big errors in how he handled the team and it would have been very difficult to turn things around. It seems like it was the right thing to do, but hey, let's hope Frank goes off and earns his stripes properly. And maybe he'll be back in 10 years time, question mark. How good would that be, question mark. Uh, well done, Philip, fantastic. Um, uh, 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 about the last point, um, uh, the, 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 one of the theories, of course, is the board didn't really care whether Frank was going to be sex successful or not, did they? That's what he was saying, um, was idiotic. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying that, um, um, I'm saying, uh, um, that might not have been idiotic. He's saying that, that it, it might have been, as we've debated on this, it might have been uh, that they set him up only to be there for eight, 18 months till till somebody better was available. And it, they got him through the transfer ban. Who was the best Who was the best manager to do it? Frank. They may have been more uh, um, Machiavellian than we ever thought, you know? Yeah, I mean, listen, the club are you know, the club are just pure money. There's no emotion whatsoever. Everything they do is a business decision. You know, Frank, maybe Frank or Didier or anybody, same decision. And the minute we're looking like we'll drop you away from top four, God, you know, Joe says twice, Carlo, Conte, they're literally, they're ruthless, absolutely ruthless. They don't care about our emotions. They don't care about anything. They just want to, it's a business now. It's not a club. That's a huge difference over the last... 10, 11 years since we want to be self-sufficient, FFP and all that bollocks. We are a business. That's why they want to, you know, kick in a kit door that it does to bring in Nike because it get, get them more money. Stupid beer sponsors. It's, it's a business. That's why, you know, I promise after Conte, I wouldn't get emotionally involved with the manager. And Frank comes in and it's like, oh God, I've got to do all this again. Now I'm like, literally, you know what? I don't care anymore about who's in charge. I think, I see and, I, win. and I think, and I know, I know Philip got a bit angry at, at Tony getting over emotional about it. Well, and I and I had a response in the in the you know the next show and Philip by the way it's lovely to hear from you again um, you know we don't we don't always have to agree uh, but we can be respectful about it and I know that you are um, I mean football is if you're a sporter is emotional and 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 uh, Johnny Jonathan said that I've said that Dan said that it's why we, why we love it it's very much part of it which actually in a sense gives credence to your argument Philip which is. You've got people who are detached emotionally from it, and like like we are not running the club. And it's often, it's a it's a point often made about you know supporters being involved with running clubs that they they don't have that detachment. Uh, but of course, that's not that's only half of the half of the coin in a sense, isn't it? Because you know, I think I think football is unique, even if it is a business that it that it stirs the emotions like few other businesses do i don't think there's an answer to it philip i just think it's a very interesting conundrum um i i i don't i i do like to have a bit of a tinfoil hat as you know i'm very intrigued by the fact that tuchel was approached by the club before even sarri um and therefore the fact that he became available in december i i don't think that is a coincidence but the reality is philip as you well know because you're a smart chap we will never ever know 
but it doesn't stop us talking about it. I think your other points are all spot on. I mean, Ziyech, geez, Lord only knows. I thought Simon Johnson's piece in The Athletic was very uh, spot on with that. There have been a lot of issues that he's had to address. And I mean, the only difference between him and Werner and and um, and Havertz, of course, is that he's an experienced player. But, you know, he's still in a new new league and a new culture and a new country. So it could take him time to settle in. I have faith in Chilwell. Mount is absolutely right. You are, I mean, you know, he's just brilliant. I can't, I can't tell you how much I love Mason Mount. Uh, and you know, basically, yeah, I, th- I think we were saying earlier on, weren't we, about Kepa? That was quite shrewd. Joe, do you ha- do you have anything to add to Philip's email? Yeah, when when uh, JK was reading it, I was thinking back to a, a clip that I saw from uh, Bielsa recently. It's not a recent clip, but it's a, a clip that I saw recently where he. He was differentiating between what he calls fans and spectators. And I think that divide, in, particularly in terms of social media, is, is massively kind of exacerbated in terms of the, the way that people feel kind of connected to the game. You know, his argument is that spectators, football is like, an, it's a product, you know, they're there to be entertained. It's, it's, it's about trophies, it's about entertainment. And the, the emotional kind of factor that the fan has, maybe, you know, you're growing up with your dad as a, a fan or your whatever third generation fan or whatever, you go to games it's a little bit different and it's not to say that one's better than the other and get into that ridiculous debate that happens every six months on, on Twitter I think it's, it's certainly for me it, it at least kind of allow me to sort of frame the, the conversation where I think we probably all have a very significant emotional attachment to the club as fans but there is perhaps a generation where there are people that are more spectators they want to be entertained it's about the flicks the tricks the trophies the winning and that maybe that connection between us the club and that that maybe necessarily hasn't kind of filtered through to them yeah. in that same way well as you know i've always said joe if you want entertainment go to the cinema or the theater don't go to the football that's not what it's about uh, and enough of that from me uh, we've now got a lovely email from david flotzer who says hello chidge Jonathan and esteemed guests. Uh, Thank you, as always, for hosting this podcast. Over the pandemic, the 50 years of Chelsea was a welcome addition as a lover of history. Uh, To hear stories from people who lived those experiences made it all the better. I don't listen to other Chelsea podcasts, other than the occasional straight out of Cobham, as I found this one first over six years ago now, and I'm spoiled. Thank you for these wonderful insights into being a Chelsea fan. It truly has deepened my appreciation and love for this club. I have, a, I have a couple of topics to bring up that I thought may bring up some good discussion. Keeping with the history of Chelsea, there are many Chelsea season recaps on YouTube from the 90s, and quarantine gave me the opportunity to delve into these years I missed as I was a baby in Texas. When I reflect on Lampard now, it reminds me of Rude Hullet managing Chelsea. He brought in Di Matteo, Leboeuf, Viali and Zola, all of whom set our club up for success in the coming years for Roman's takeover. Rude got big-name players in that may have never come to Chelsea otherwise. Could we look back on Frank's 18 months at the club and see Mason, Tammy, Reese, Kai, Timo as the same effect on the future of Chelsea's next 15, 10 to 15 years of success? On Lampard, I will always love him because he's Frank fucking Lampard, especially during these times. Having someone like Frank helped give me some hope. Frank made me fall in love with the club again as a fan. I work as a football coach over here in the States, so watching games became tedious over the last three to four years, whereas before I was watching nearly every Premier League game and select Italian and German games on weekends. I felt my love for the game waning as I broke down games tactically and would get lost in that world. Frank brought me back to being a fan, and for that I'm grateful. Brilliant sentiment, David. 
For any Americans who hate NBC for its horrible coverage as I do, I've started listening to the game live on the Chelsea Fifth Stand app. It takes a minute or two to sync to the game, but I've found that it helps to feel close to the game. You get the Chelsea side, for instance, the flick from Mason last week that was completely ignored, was covered there, so I don't know if it was an issue. Uh, I didn't know it was an issue. But also get to hear more of an on-field communication due to no fans. Thank you for all that you do. David from Texas. Well, first of all, David, I hope uh, you're... Yeah, and Jonathan's applauding that email. Quite right, so he should. Um, first of all, I hope you're not getting too cold because I know that Texas has got some awfully cold weather, unseasonally cold weather at the moment. So uh, I hope you've got power and I hope you're staying safe. We're thinking of you over here. We love our mates in Texas, that's for sure. Um, I totally agree with your sentiments on Frank um, about, you know, getting the love back for it and the, the passion, the enthusiasm, which is what we all felt when we when he got appointed. And I and I do think that, you know, we will be grateful in years to come uh, because we will understand that Frank's real legacy to the club was not 18 months at it, but it was bringing through the likes of Mason, Tammy and Reese, and uh, and certainly Hudson-Odoi as well, perhaps you could argue. Um Kai and Timo, I mean, yeah, absolutely, I, I see the point you're making. But, I mean, I think the point for me is that no youngsters had made it at Chelsea uh, at all uh, um, for 20-odd years before Frank was manager, and suddenly an abundance of them did. And that is special. And I think these players are going to go... I mean, Mason, if, if Mason doesn't go down playing four or 500 games for Chelsea or more and becoming an absolute legend, I will eat this microphone, or it will be a serious injustice. And the final point for me... Um, very relevant because we've got Joe and Dan here particularly, but we will continue. We will continue the 50 years of Chelsea. Uh, I simply don't have time in the week to do three podcasts. So we get the Monday night one on the Friday preview show. But as soon as the season's finished, there won't be a need to be covering the game. So we will we will be restarting uh, the history of Chelsea, the 50 years of Chelsea series. And uh, I think we're up to about 1991-92. So We'll be starting in the in the decade that you're talking about, and it's a decade that we we're all obviously going to. And Dan will feature, although Dan's been a few of the '80s ones, but Dan will be featuring large in that. Hopefully, we, we can convince Joe to come in too, because I know that's when Joe really Joe. Um, that was when you really started falling in love with the club, wasn't it, in the '90s? Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, my late '80s, so '87 was when I was born. But my my memory from Chelsea starts around '94. So to be fair, I've only really known pretty decent time, so I'm quite lucky. But the the mid mid nineties to the late nineties, it's like that's my real, real kind of falling in love with the club period. Well, well, make sure we book you in for one or two in the summer. Then I'm looking forward to that. And by the sounds of it, so are you, David. But it is definitely coming back uh, in the summer. That's our summer project. Uh, thank you, thank you, um, J.K. <coughs> Excuse me, Adam Goldstein, dear Chidge, and Co. So we're and Co. Are we? Right. You should be <clears throat> grateful for it. I, I am grateful. I'm grateful to be Co. Um, us Chelsea fans have been dealing with quite a bit the last months. Frank being fired has understandably darkened all of our moods quite a bit. So I wanted to share something quite positive. I recently married a fellow Chelsea fan. Congratulations. Adam, I am so jealous. I have never met any woman. Ever. Ever. No. Ever. <laughs> Can I just add the dot, dot, dots at the end of that? Who was a Chelsea fan <laughs> who was interested in me? Anyway, um, I wanted to share how we met and our connections to Chelsea to brighten the mood. 
We first met in college. A mutual friend told me he met a girl with a Chelsea flag in her room. Understandably, I went out of my way to change into my least wrinkled Chelsea shirt. 2013, 14's Juan Mata, if I recall correctly. And he introduced us. Perhaps that was Juan's finest assist. <laughs> Little did I know she had quite the Chelsea connection. Her father, born and raised a Chelsea fan back in England, came to the US on a running scholarship. Her grandfather, Geoffrey Perkins, had played for Chelsea in the post-war period. The first time I met him, he told me about how he balanced his playing while working as an engineer. Mm. My own Chelsea obsession originated when I was a kid looking at cool goal videos on YouTube with my friends. I saw Zola's back heel against Norwich, and from then I was hooked. On our first date, we made fun of David Luiz's hair. Sorry, David Luiz's hair. Talked about how he celebrated the 2012 Champions League final and commiserated about waking up at the crack of dawn and finding a shady link to watch the mighty Chelsea. It was clear from that point on, it was written in the stars. <laughs> Although at times it seems the club we love is run dramatically and without a plan, we always manage to get out of it, often with a shiny piece of silverware. It hurt when Frank was fired, but thinking back on what Chelsea has given to me and so many others has kept me engaged. No matter what, I'll keep coming back for more. Up the Chelsea. Adam Goldstein. Oh, blimey, Adam. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. All the women I've ever gone out with have gone, oh, God, you and your football. You know, as my, even my daughter the other day, she said to me, um, <laughs> uh, um, when, the other day, when we were actually going to football, she said, where are you going, Daddy? And I said, I'm, a, I'm going to watch Chelsea. She went, oh, again? She said, oh, I couldn't believe that. It tore tore into my soul when she said that. Um, anyway, yes, yes, uh, enough. Well done. Brilliant. Thank you. Congrats. What a lovely yeah. story, Adam. Yeah, my wife actually is, as she'll tell you, is a is a bigger Chelsea supporter. Well, I wouldn't say she's a bigger Chelsea supporter than me, but she she says that I'm a plastic because her mum was a Chelsea fan and used to stand on the terraces in the shed end actually in the fifties and the sixties. Her granddad was a Chelsea supporter, so he would have been going before the the war, and uh, he used to take her and she used to stand at the front of the shed when she was about six, uh, and that's before I ever started going. And so she's born into it. She's born, born, born and bred Chelsea, and I'm just a Johnny come lately. So there you go. Uh, apparently, I've now ruined her love of Chelsea by uh, being so preoccupied with it and doing two podcasts a week and ignoring her. But there you go. What can I say? You found a real cracker there, mate. Well done. Right. This is from Matt Scott, and it's via Instagram. Yes, we have an Instagram account. And because I don't understand how to, to work Instagram, the lovely Dane Whittle does it for us. And he does a fine, fine job. And he's a fine, fine bloke. Anyway, Matt says, just listen to last night's pod. The lads were on about how we're on the hunt for a new centre forward. Personally, I do like Tammy. I did think, however, if not Tammy, is the answer not staring us right in the face? Could Havertz potentially play there? He did for a few games in Leverkusen last season. Good in the air, technically gifted, always said he reminds me of a certain Dimitar Berbatov. He could be the answer with uh, with uh, Werner and Adoy just behind as, num- as two number 10s in this 3-4-2-1 system Tuchel plays. This by no means drops Mount. He can easily play one of the two deeper midfielders. I mean, if you watch Cover and what's being asked of him in an attacking sense, win the ball and get forward, wouldn't Mount be so much better for that considering he has an eye for a pass, can shoot and score goals? Uh, well, Matt... Um, 
I'll address Mount first. I absolutely agree with Mount. And I was saying much the same a while ago that he could certainly play that that role. He can he he tracks back. He can tackle. He's fierce, but he's great going forward and all the rest of it. So I agree with that. Um, Havertz up front. That's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I know he did play there for Leverkusen and he was very successful. I think Havertz's problem at the moment is he's finding it really hard to adapt to the English game, no matter where he plays. Um, I do wonder about his physicality. If you played him up front, he'd get bullied off it by big, hairy-assed English centre-backs, that's for sure. But he's got... I think I think Havertz... Uh, look, on Havertz's period, give the kid time. He is just a kid. It's a really difficult year to break into a side because of all the other reasons that we know about. But this kid, I, I am assured by people who know far more about football than I will ever know, has huge abundances of talent. And I think if we're patient with him and if we give him time, we could well have a diamond there. But I'm I'm not... The physicality... I know he's a big lad, so maybe if he beefs up a bit. I mean, he's still young. But I do... I mean, you know, you've got to have a bit of presence up front in this in, in England because, you know, you, you're going to have two centre-backs on you for most of the time making mince meat out of you. Joe, what, what, do you, what do you think about the Havertz theory there? Yeah, it's it's something that I've I felt in terms of trying to get him into the team. I mean, at the moment, it's I think you're right. It's difficult to sort of really see where he fits, particularly in the shape. I, I do remember I think he scored like eight goals in ten games as a striker in Germany. But we've kind of seen that, that maybe that German Bundesliga to Premier League sort of translation isn't necessarily one for one in terms of in terms of style and in terms of output. But I think if you were going for that that role that Mount played a little while ago, like that that complete force nine role, that potentially is something that he could do. But if you're looking at him to be like a traditional, like a reference point up front to sort of play back to goal and to do things that you would probably want a centre for to do, I don't think that's certainly a way of, of getting the best out of him. But yeah, if you were looking at this kind of mount role with with two kind of split strikers and a force nine in there, then he probably could do that pretty well. Um, I think his biggest issue so far has been that his, his success as like a number 10, number eight in Germany came from playing with, with deeper midfielders that could really pass the ball and punch the ball into him. And I think sometimes when he's when he's been playing well, we're sort of starting to look to get into games. And sometimes we've we've not really been able to find him in those pockets of space. So you know, it's a little bit like the Pogba conundrum at Man United, where you you play him deeper because he can play the pass, but then he's not in the area where you want him to be to make sort of the telling pass in the final third. It's a little bit rock and a hard place with him. But I do agree with with uh, with people that are saying that I think he will go on to be a very very good player for us. I just think at the moment this season is. Is not where we're going to see that. But I expect him to be a really, really top-tier player for us at some point. Yeah, me too. Dan, would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. I just think he's <clears throat> made physicality. He's a low man. He's going to, you say he's going to get bullied the whole time, but he's got incredible technique and ability. He's suffered from COVID and everything else. I think we you know, can't judge him now, wait till next season when he really kind of fits into premiership. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, I think just be patient with him. I think he's got talent and just, just nurture it. Nurture it. Uh, now, we've got a lovely email here, JK, from a very old friend of ours. Chris Larwood, the Blue Roo, has pretty much been listening to the fan cast from day one. And this is from Patreon when he joined up the other day. Is he related to Harold Larwood? I've asked him that, and I don't think he is. Good. I don't mean good. I mean good to know. I mean good that we've established that he isn't, because I'd like him to have been, but uh, I said he's digging a hole and shutting up. Okay. Anyway... Um... <laughs> <laughs> You've got my juice. Hi, Chid. It's been a while. No, sorry. It's been a while since we could buy the boys a beer, and at present you can't get a. Ah, oh, start again. Hi, Chid. Hi, Chid. Hi, Chid. It's been a while. No, 
Hi, it's been a while since we could buy the boys a beer, and at present you can't get to a pub to drink it. No such problems in Adelaide. No, I would hope not. The episode after the premature sacking of Super FL was just, was just the tonic and, as you said, cathartic. I myself was appalled by the so-called fans calling for Frank to go. He deserved more time and was dealing with a situation no manager before had remotely had to deal with. Possibly some of the other Chelsea managers. Maybe the master plan was always to bide time until the hierarchy's first choice became available and there was enough of an excuse to make the move. Frank was used as a stopgap measure only. Would this make him a sacrificial lamp? Oh, oh, oh Chris! Oh, 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 oh. Uh, being a Patreon is the least I could do. Cheaper than therapy, but with the same result and a laugh to boot. People still prompt me to recount the incredible story of winning tickets, flights and London accommodation to the 2018 FA Cup final. I still pinch myself that it happened, but well, you, you were indeed witness to it, and a more sober and reliable witness would be hard to find. I will say I do enjoy some of the podcast jousting of recent times, crossing swords, but agreeing to disagree, even in a chidocracy. Yes. Regards to yourself, Jonathan, Tony Glover, who should always be first choice, but rotation of the all-star squad does keep it vibrant with different perspectives. Blue room. Well done, Chris. Nice man. Nice yeah. Man. And I mean, Dan will probably remember uh, meeting you at the 2018 Cup final at the uh, the Victoria pub where we all hang out. I don't know if Dan does remember. But uh, you remember that, Dan? Yeah. Yep. I'm so, just about sober at that point, but yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I, yeah, think, I think... It's a bit of a blow that day, but yeah, I think we, there's, there's a few... Russ was... Russ there as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Chris had his his little lab with him as well, but I mean, I think his assertion, assertion that we were sober is a bit way off the mark. But maybe we were when right. we met him. Chris, you know, number one, thank you. Um, always lovely to hear from you. You've been around since we started this thing, so it's great to have you on board for Patreon. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Really much appreciated. On a similar vein, our last email is from Brandon Tarney. He says, "Love the podcast, and I'd love to chat on the Discord group. How can I get access? Thanks, and come on, you blues from the uh, USA." Well, the answer to that, Brandon, is you need to join Patreon because uh, Patreon, uh, basically, if you join Patreon, if you, if you, and I mean, you know, there's no pressure on this, and I mean, I'd never, ever, you know, demand that people should do that, but. Um, if you do feel like you know contributing a few pennies every month to uh, to the show, uh, obviously would be very grateful. Um, but of course, it also gives you access immediately to Discord. I will send you a link, and I send you a link that works. Isn't that the case, J.K.? You you are now in our group, aren't you? You sent me a, a, a beautiful link, and it works. You are J.K. Rovers on there. Indeed, I am. That's uh, me. And everybody's I'm... very happy to see you. From what I saw, oh, lovely. Except I then went for a cup of tea and a wee. And I paused the game for five minutes and realised that I was commenting on everything five minutes uh, after it all happened. <laughs> so I, I bowed out gracefully. But that's the thing. I mean, the Discord group is great fun. It's a real antidote to Twitter. And, I mean, we're a bit lucky because I, I set up a WhatsApp group for the fan cars ages ago and we all, we all get to have a chinwag in there. Everybody who's on the show is in there and we all have a chinwag while the game's going on. Uh, but the Discord group is lovely. It's a bit like the Mixler chat room um, and everybody's mates. We all kind of know who we are. Uh, and and everybody's pretty level-headed. There's no nappy shitting, and I mean we obviously get a bit emotional and a bit angry, but you know that's football. But it, it's really oh, it's, it's like a, a, a soothing balm compared to Twitter. So 
if you're really interested then uh, as i said the thing about our patreon is you can donate whatever you like there's there's no kind of tears or anything like that just whatever you want everybody gets treated the same basically so uh you get uh, a link to the discord group um as i said i should have thanked chris larwood for doing exactly that because that's where his email came from the other thing of course is that if you do sign up to uh, our patreon group uh then you will also get a kerry dixon mini banner so a little tiny replica of the banner that hangs up in the matthew harding end so <clears throat> another reason to uh, to sign up as well uh you will find it at patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast so there you go i commend it to you now uh one more this came in as we were doing the show uh, it's kind of for jk i think although it was addressed to me from some black i don't know if you've heard of him uh, jk chelsea independent Oh yeah, Peter. Yeah, you're already looking worried. Yeah, rightly no, so. I'm not worried. I'm looking. I'm looking cocky and slightly supercilious. Nonchalant. Yeah, uh, Pete's quite often in Mixler actually. So maybe he did post in there. But he says, "Stanford Chidge." So every time Timo plays well, it's because the Oppo are poor. Shocking from J.K. <laughs> on the Chelsea fancast. Go to the back of the class. I would expect nothing less from Pete. <laughs> I do nothing. love Pete. Nothing. <clears throat> Pete's an absolute trooper. See, this is well, another Peter, thing. Let's see. Let's see. The proof of the pudding is in the eating, as they used to say to me at school. Kid, kid, proof of the pudding. So we will um we'll discover how he plays against uh, Atletico and all the other teams coming up. And uh, and if he's as good as he has been in the last well, if he's as average as he has been in the last few games, not man of the match, as everybody has been saying. Um let us see. Let us see if yesterday's goal is the beginning of a, which in fact didn't actually hit the back of the net. So he has failed to do that for uh, more than 15 games. Um, let's see if it's the beginning of a deluge of goals, in which case I will take my hat off to him. But at the moment, I'm not convinced. Well, there you have it, Pete. Uh, I think you should both get a room, you two, and have it out there anyway. Uh, sadly, that is the uh, end of the show, really. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, JK and I will return on Friday with Clayton Beerman. The Beerman's back. Can't wait. And, of course, Adam Newson from Football.London, who we're, we're growing very attached to our, our buddies from Football.London. They are very fine gentlemen, Sam and Adam. We've got Adam on Friday for the preview show <clears throat> at 7 p.m., Live on Mixler, as always, and uh, we'll be looking back at all the Chelsea news from the week, and we'll be looking ahead, of course, to Saturday's match against Southampton. Now, JK and I will be back next Monday with Shock Horror, the return of the Smut Buddies. Yes. Tony Glover and Alex Churchill will be in harness. Not literally, I hasten to add, but uh, much although Tony would probably like that. Uh, but they'll be uh, in in you know in tandem together for a fan cast. Long time since that's happened. Obviously, we'll be looking back at the Southampton match and ahead to the Crunch Champions League match against Atletico Madrid. Uh, now, Dino has already emailed me with uh, the Went to Mo Kings Meadow podcast for me to edit and publish for you. Of course, that's his weekly podcast on the Chelsea FC women's team. It's brilliant, by the way. Dean is doing. And App Dean and Jane, should I say, are doing a fantastic job on that. I'll shove that up tomorrow morning when I've got rid of this one. So look out for that as well. Now, uh, the Chelsea Fancast, as you should already know by now, really, let's face it, is available as a podcast on the ChelseaFancast.com website, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify, as well as other podcast distributors. Uh, and among them, there's a wonderful app that kind of brings all of the Chelsea podcasts together. And it's called CFC Blues. And uh, they tell you how to find it here. 
For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Uh, I've already given a big old plug for Patreon. I just want to say at this juncture, um, we're getting loads more people joining up, which is lovely. Uh, but thank you, thank you, thank you. It really helps. And it's really, really appreciated. And I love the fact that, you know, we've set up this Discord group, which is great fun to do. And I'm really enjoying being part of that and, you know, kind of establishing another little Chelsea community. So it's a lovely extension of what we do on the show. So uh, come and join us. You know how to. I did tell you a minute ago. Right. Uh, lastly, of course, if you want your emails read out, we love a few emails on the show, as you know. Uh, please get them in before I write the script. So usually normal service would be end of play on Sunday because I tend to write the script on a Monday morning. So uh, we have one from Nigeria, and, and, and I think it was, I uh, can't remember his name, but I have one on today. I promise you you're first on the list next week, okay? But the email address is chelseafancast at gmail.com. Right, lastly, the Twitter shout-outs, at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stamford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Dan at Dan Silves 73 and Joe at Joe Tweedy. Do follow us. It, I know I know some of us have got lots and lots of followers, but it's always nice to have more. So don't leave us out. Uh, and of course, you know, Chelsea Fancast, at Chelsea Fancast on Facebook and Instagram as well. That, I'm afraid, is all we've got time for tonight. So it's time to say, Joe, you have been utterly fantastic as always. It's a, it's a real joy having you on the show and uh, we really appreciate uh, we really appreciate seeing you, mate. So hopefully we'll get you back on soon. Yeah, I'll try not to leave it about fifty-five months until the uh, no, I don't the next th- I, this time. I don't think it's been that long, actually. I, I have to it say, has, it has, is it really? It no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How remiss. Three years, three no, years. it has not. <laughs> don't be like that. Joe's in our WhatsApp group, so I can't believe I'd have ignored him for that long. Joe, bottom line <laughs> is, mate, it's brilliant. It's lovely to see you. It's really lovely to hear your dulcet tones. Look, best of luck with uh, you know your King's Road uh, podcast and newsletter. Do you want to give that a final plug? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, if you uh, if you guys are interested in in hearing both me and some special guests doing a little bit more, uh, I'm available. Kind of... I'm available if needed. Chidge, Chidge is available, of course. Yeah, and I'll, I, I'll I won't charge. I won't charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get Chidge on at some point. Um, but yeah, find something for simple letter. for me to talk about, Joe. We'll, we'll we'll do a five minute special. Just keep it simple. <laughs> Cheeky, sir. Uh, yeah, but the, yeah, yeah. The, the newsletter and the, the podcast you can find from the uh, the London's Blue guys. But yeah, it's uh, starting soon. First, I think the first podcast is out next month. So uh, yeah, brilliant, be exciting, brilliant. Well, I look forward to that and good good luck with it, mate. And uh, give uh, the London's Blue boys a big kiss from me. Uh, and hopefully we'll see you soon. As I said, uh, Dan, always lovely to see you, mate. It's, uh, I, I, I have to say, the the worst thing about seeing you on on the fancast these days is it makes me think I haven't seen you in a pub at a game for a beer since we beat Spurs, and that is way too long, mate. Like that's just yeah, that's ridiculous. It's isn't crazy, it? isn't it? Crazy it, times. It makes my heart absolutely plummet when I realise that. Cause Cannot I cannot wait till the first day we <clears> ride out. It's going to be carnage. It is. Well, you're one of my favourite drinking buddies, period, let alone football-related, but it just yeah. so happens that, that, that you and I at the football, all, all, I mean, you know, will often end up getting very pissed, and I really miss that. 
me too. I'm a bad influence, you know. A little, a little, you are a indeed. Train. Get the next train, get I the next know, train, get the next train. I don't need much encouragement, to be fair. True, nor do I, so, you know. But, yeah. Anyway, look, mate, lovely to see you. Thanks for, yeah, for being be on. on. Yeah, we'll see you soon, Pleasure. no doubt. See you soon. You too, mate. And uh, as for you, JK, me? the lord of the manor, the lord of the studio. No. No, 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 no. It's lovely to see you, mate. You're on good form tonight. Can I just uh, congratulate Joe uh, mm. for his ability to, uh, all the time in the past, you've been talking about all the youth players. And uh, um, uh, and with uh, to, to see lots of them come to fruition in the first team must be absolutely excellent for you, as well as for us, the fact that you've you've prodded us towards all these these people that otherwise we would we probably wouldn't have paid a great deal of attention to. I mean, it's obviously helped that the uh, with the transfer ban, but initially to have a lot of people that you praised hugely, Adoy being one of them, for example, to actually see them coming in and being um, top banana is really is rewarding. So I congratulate you for that, Joe. Quite brilliant. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, I think for me, it's always been important to have a bit of a connection to the to sort of heart and soul of the club. And I think, you know, you've got yeah. kids who have been here since they were six, seven, eight years old in some cases to, to yeah. come all the way through and to actually get into a team like Chelsea. And I think that's why I always give them a little bit more credit. I, I'm always a little bit less likely to criticise them because the path they've taken to become first team players here. When you've got hundreds of millions of pounds spent on people in your position... And at the moment, I think we're seeing this season that they're probably some of the better players week on week. So they've done fantastically oh, well. And absolutely, definitely. Yeah, yeah I hope if, if there's one thing to take from Frank Lampard and his legacy, I think it's that he's legitimised the academy in the eyes of a lot of different people in yeah. terms of legitimising that pathway. So, yeah. yeah, a nice point to end on. What couldn't you took the words right out of my mouth, Joe? Perfect way to end it. And uh, as I said, everybody uh, who's listened, all the Mixler people, thank you for for being on Mixler. It's always lovely to see your comments. Uh, everybody uh, else out there too thank you for listening Uh, we will see you on Friday until then keep it blue keep it carefree keep it Chelsea Chelsea. Chelsea. have a good day boys